Hello, everyone. It is November the 29th of 2017, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap is unending because we're going to have manga to talk about and also JoJo, and I don't know, these conversations seem to go on forever. Uh, Chris! I thought, I thought you were making a joke about how, uh, like, Bites the Dust was going to be going off, so we were going to be reliving the manga recap over and over again. That was so weird. <laughs> get used to that. I don't, don't know get how simpler. supposed to actually have, like, an end game, honestly. <laughs> Uh, I think he just had to make it so one day happened where all of them died, and then he could just go on, because no matter what would happen, they'd die. No one else, I guess, will be trying to find out, I, I guess. I mean, yeah, technically he almost won, because he, he got everyone he really needed to on that one day, so he yeah. was pretty good. No, stop um, asking me questions! <laughs> uh, I don't know... That's putting the car before the horse. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how long it's going to last, by the way, but I, I did make sure to get my uh, my Rohan earring in today. To uh, put that on. Oh, I that's what's going on with you. Yeah. Here. Okay. I, I, yeah, no, I, I have really bad cauliflower, Nick. Uh, no, I, but I don't have pierced ears at all, so I just right. put masking tape on my ear. <laughs> I don't know how long it's going to last. Probably going to fall off in a while. I'm going to be honest. I, I love you, Juario, uh, but I don't think I'm going to keep pushing this back on because it's going to be really annoying after a bit. But for the moment, I'm all about it and that beautiful Dwang. Maybe you, maybe you can get 30, 30 minutes in. That's my hope. So yeah, it's uh, our continuing uh, bizarre adventure going through JoJo part by part. Uh, we've reached part four, Diamond is Unbreakable, which is probably like the most straightforward badass title, I think, of the ones that we've encountered thus far. Yeah, I mean, I guess Diamond's Unbreakable, that's solid. That's yeah, solid. It is. It's Unbreakable, you can ah. say. The set you up for that one. Shit. Um... And also, I, I think that the series itself, I'm getting the sense that this is where we actually descend into proper... Yeah, JoJo's a weird series territory. Because <laughs> this one starts at a fast run and then keeps going from there in terms of just... These powers are weird. <laughs> oh, yeah. when you If you're referring to stands, yes, this is where the stands start to get really weird and abstract. Because I mentioned, I think, the last time, I was like... At the start of it, it was like, my stand's really fast and strong. My stand is fire. My stand has a sword. My stand shoots you get diamonds. A weird one. I can't you get a weird one like, oh, well, my purple hermit allows me to take pictures of distant places by destroying cameras. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, there was some pretty simple stuff. But, like, everyone's power in this one's a kind of weird one. There's very few that are just, like, kind of straightforward. And there are some that are just bizarre this is where we start getting like oh some people have stands that act independently of themselves and will persist beyond their death and <laughs> seem to have uh be actually detrimental to the user it's like fuck dude aren't these supposed to be based on your psyche what's wrong with your head what's going on buddy come on superfly to give an idea the main hero uh, the protagonist of this series, the fourth Jojo, is Josuke, uh, who I believe is your favorite Jojo. Is that right, yes. Chris? I, I absolutely love Josuke. Although uh, Jolene my, is a very, very close second. I'll give my thoughts on Josuke in a bit. But uh, just to give you an idea, his power is Crazy Diamond, as in shine on you, Crazy Diamond. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a very much a return to everything Amma song or band uh, with this part. It's like enough of the, enough of those are you know, tarot card bullshit. Forget that. No, <laughs> fuck music. that. You know, Joe was awesome having a stand named after fucking, like, uh, Cream and fucking, like, Mariah Carey and shit. Like, what's it do to that? Um, 
So his power, uh, it's, it's, it starts off, it looks like it's going to be similar to, uh, to Jotaro's where, you know, it's like, okay, it punches stuff really hard and fast. But then it turns out, well, actually, whenever he destroys something, he can then re-put it back together. Essentially, however he likes. Um, and uh, so he uses this at the beginning to, you know, he messes up a guy's face and then reforms it just because he got really pissed off at him because the guy insulted his hair. That happens a lot. Um, um, and it makes Josuke unique from the previous protagonists that have come before him in that he can heal people. That's yes. actually his big thing, is that he can heal people who are injured, which is very, very convenient because holy shit, some people get fucked up in this in this series. But the the rule, obviously, there's a big rule to that, and that's that he can't heal himself. So Good despite rule. everyone else getting their shit pushed in, uh, Josuke gets his own shit pushed in, and there's no heal instantly button for him. Good rule, because otherwise he would be amazingly broken. Yeah, but he can do cool stuff with this ability. Um, he because he can punch something and then put it back together and everything that he disassembles he can re-put it back together in weird ways uh he uses this for example to um imprison a guy inside of a rock yes forever he does that with i think at least like the first villain basically uh he does it with i'm trying to remember if he does it to anyone else besides those two dudes Mm. because he also does it with uh the guy who has enigma later on um by baking him into a book um, it's, it's sort of a unique way for him to handle his villains without just outright killing them. Cause I'm trying to think there aren't too many villains that get outright killed. This is one of the few Jojo's no. where actually uh, a significant number of the opponents uh, actually get to be redeemed or at least become yeah. kind of like allies to the, the cast later on. Well, so, not a big part of that is Josuke's philosophy on stuff, which is he, he doesn't like killing people. Um, his stance is that, you know, once your life comes to an end, then that's it. You know, you can't become a better person. You can't make amends for the bad things that you've done. So it's a big step for him when he actually says, like, this is someone who I actually can't forgive. You know, I have to actually kill this person. Even the guy who murders his grandfather, he doesn't kill him. He imprisons him inside a rock for all eternity. Yeah, I'm like, kill him. <laughs> he might as well have killed him. Let's he might as well have killed him. <laughs> Not only did he imprison him inside a rock, he then got further pissed at him and turned him into an ugly rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it's hard not to to side with him on that because uh, Araki writes villains in such disgusting ways that yeah. you're just like, I'm very satisfied that this man's going to be a rock that gets pissed on for all eternity. This is mm-hmm. right. This is good. Good punishment. Good on you, Josuke. <laughs> Uh, but he also uses power in unique ways in combat. Uh, there's, for example, there's a fairly early villain who, uh, he basically like breaks a bottle and throws it at the guy. The guy, you know, like has to, his, the guy's stand catches it and then he reforms the bottle around this stand's hand so it takes it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, one of the very first times that he uses his ability, he stops a guy who's got a woman held hostage by, Punching through the woman, grabbing the guy's knife, punching into the guy, leaving the knife inside of his body, and healing the woman after he takes his fist out. So yeah. <laughs> it, it's awesome. It's a supremely awesome power that gets used very creatively, um, and it, it helps because you know this is JoJo. Part of kind of a major part of what makes it JoJo is these big stand fights that happen now. 
mm-hmm. and seeing how the characters get out of them. And, you know, the stands, the enemy stands in this one are pretty intimidating, but I, I always appreciate that with Josuke, it always really did feel like they came up with a legitimate way out of, like, every situation. You know, if it, things look bad, they came up with a, like, logical reason why he won. It wasn't like, oh, like, you're... You lost focus and that's how I got you or something like that. It was always like, no, these, the, like, the explanation makes sense. Like, oh, this guy could turn to steam, jump inside you and kill you. He's like, yeah, well, I, I was in the kitchen. I swallowed a rubber glove and then pulled it out and tied it off so he couldn't escape. And I got him that way. It's like, that makes perfect sense for Josuke and the rest of the JoJo cast. They're fucking, like, masochist weirdos, but it works. <laughs> Josuke is a weird genius. Yeah. Yeah. He comes up with some very clever plans, uh, particularly in the final battle, but we'll talk about that later. Um, I took notes about the series, which were lost when my computer crashed, because what can you do? Um, but one of the things that I noted early on was uh, when Josuke's little sidekick gets introduced in the series, Koichi. Yes. And so I thought what I noted was, like, how long is this guy going to be around? Question mark. Because, <laughs> like, this other guy is going to be forgotten immediately killed immediately or he's going to be around forever and it turns out to be that last one but yes. he ends up getting a stand so it's like oh okay <laughs> he gets three <laughs> he ends up getting a useful ability <laughs> uh koichi was an interesting one to me because when and i love part four i'm gonna make no bones about it uh it's my my favorite part of jojo and i, I there's so much of it i absolutely adore uh, and I think part of it is the cast, but initially, I, I will admit, I was not a huge fan of Koichi when I was younger. I think he just, he rubbed me the wrong way. Maybe just like the little kid kind of character. Uh, and also, Even though he and Josuke are the same age. Yeah, but it's, he's fucking short. <laughs> he's like, comes up to Josuke's knee. He's like as tall as the grade school kid who gets introduced near the end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there's a thing, too, where... In this, uh, I guess, part three, basically, starting and then going forward, your JoJo characters kind of form a group of characters, kind of like how last one was, like, Polnareff, Kakion, Jotaro, Joseph, that sort of thing. And each characters will occasionally kind of get their own individual fights that happen throughout the series. Like, some will be maybe with others, but kind of everybody gets their own chance to shine. There is elements of that in this one. Most everyone kind of gets at least one chance to show up, but Koichi gets, like, fucking six. Koichi gets a lot of fights, so if you don't like Koichi, he can be a little grating because he is kind of, like, one I guess the sec- up. Yeah, he's, like, kind of- the, he kind of gets, like, the secondary most amount of screen time after Josuke himself. But I, I think reading him now, I can appreciate what he adds to things as- First, a complete coward at the start of things. He really is like a bitch, but he he pulls his shit together when he needs to. And, um, you know, after he gets shot through the neck, he's fine. You know? Yeah, it takes a little bit of time. But <laughs> <laughs> look, you got to suffer for your art. But uh, that he, was one of the weirdest parts of the series was like the new way that they introduce the way that people get stands is they have to have the potential for it. And then you get shot with this magical bow and arrow. Just called the bow and arrow, by the way. Mm-hmm. They don't have like a special artifact name or anything like that. It's just like. The bow and arrow. Yeah. <laughs> and that, uh, that bow and arrow, uh, can you remember that? Cause that is not a one-time plot point. That, that continues to be sort of a thing. Can't, can't it just be called something besides the bow and arrow? Though, does it ever get? No, I don't think so. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> sure he's called like, hey, that arrow. Watch out for that. 
It's like, I can't come up with a song name that fits a bow and arrow. What do you want? <laughs> David um, Bowie, come on. God. <laughs> David Bowie Arrow. <laughs> All right. Um, we get uh, Joe Turo comes back for this series in a weird new white costume. Oh. Uh, it looks he looks weird in that. <laughs> it, it really emphasizes the stupidity of his hat that just fades away into his hair halfway through when it's not black. You're like, hold on a moment. Now this is really obvious. What is your hat doing? <laughs> um, honestly, I think that I like Chotro a little less after this series. Really? It's just like, why are you here? You're too powerful for this series, Chotro. Go away. Because <laughs> it's very much. The series works at kind of a smaller scale than Stardust Crusaders does because Stardust Crusaders was let's go on a world trekking adventure and beat up these weird people so that we can save Jotaro's mom from this horrible evil guy and destroy Dio, the most horrible villain ever, who now has the ability to stop time and dump steamrollers on you. Um, but uh, with Josuke, Josuke is like I'm my grand my grandfather was a cop. And uh, he defended this town with everything they had. I'm going to become this town's defender in his place. So it's really just all set in the same neighborhood, which is fine because the villain of the series is just wants to be in this neighborhood. So he's just going to operate here as opposed to hiding somewhere else where they have to go and find him. Um, and as a result of that, that, that kind of, I think, goes along with the feel of the series, which is less... Less bat- world-destroying-ish, I think, than Stars Crusaders was. This is a much more intimate scene uh, setting because the entirety of this part takes place in this one town of Morio. I don't think they ever actively leave it. Maybe when they go for, like, Bug Eye or whatever that, those rats' names are, maybe they're a little bit outside or in the outskirts. But the idea, the idea is that they, the entirety of this part takes place in this town of Morio, and... The villain kind of fits to that. It's not the world conquering vampire anymore or anything like that. It's a villain of this town and it's, it's someone whose aspirations kind of fit that. It, it hits a smaller scale, but it's a pretty awesome, I think, uh, difference to have. Uh, sort of that problem that like the Marvel movies have after a while where like every fucking movie is the world ending. Like it's, it gets nice when you were like, you know, it was kind of cool when, uh, uh, what was, uh, what was the one that just recently happened? Where it was like Ant-Man, and you're just like, hey, he's just a kid. It's really like, it's like where it kind of like began and end or whatever, you know, like the scale didn't have to rise up to the very, very top. Right. Um, this guy, this guy's throwing some tanks around. It's not like he's going to destroy the world or anything. Though. Yeah. That would be a huge thing. But just the idea of like, it's nice to have something that feels on a smaller scale and is immensely kind of intimate and unique uh, this this part almost is half slice of life it, it actually kind of is at the start because this is a series with a very slow start um, we have several instances of josuke and his group kind of just running into random stand users in town uh, and kind of have interactions with them and these guys aren't like this is at a point where there's no plot yet there's there's like the bow and arrow out there and there's a, a killer out there but this isn't the one that comes in later this is red hot chili pepper essentially like there's mm-hmm. a threat that's out there but it, there's not really like a full plot you couldn't say like well just getting out got like the group are out to stop these guys They're like now nah, just getting them go to school and they run into a lot of standards on the way um, they do 
But that's kind of, that's what I think makes this part in a lot of ways because getting that chance to see this town and all the different people and personalities in it, all these stand users and a lot of which, you know, continue to come back, build this town to kind of create it as its own character. And that's kind of vital to the end of this story as it becomes less of a story of five heroes trying to stop a serial killer as it does this entire town trying to get rid of this blight that's, that's tainting it. Um, in that regard, I kind of was just like, just, just let, let the kids play, Jotro. Don't go away. Because <laughs> well, his the, his involvement in the series is because is the, the reason why he's in the town to begin with is because it turns out that Joseph is not doing so well. He's probably gonna die fairly soon because he's just a really old man by this point. Um, and Josuke, it turns out, is his bastard son. So Jotaro goes to him and is like, yeah, so we kind of need to, you know, verify this. And also there's all this stuff about like, you know, your inheritance that's going to come with it and all that. Um, and Josuke, uh, is kind of just like, Hey, you know, you kind of screwed over my mom because she really liked you and you just kind of like left her alone to raise me. So not really happy with you. Um, but of course, over the course of the series, they, they make amends. Um, and Joseph ends up doing something really sweet that I really like, which is adopting an invisible baby. Yeah. This is a weird series, which is, by the way, they hit around the she's invisible in the most adorable way, which is they put makeup on her and then a tiny pair of sunglasses. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to think what her stand Does is. she ever come up, show up again? I want to um, see her like as an adult. <laughs> I don't think so. Achong baby, that's the name of her stand. I don't Achong think so, baby, yeah. I, I don't think so if only because some stuff happens in a later part that kind of mm-hmm. prevents us from seeing what might happen. Um Does she die? <laughs> no, I, essentially the part later on introduces an alternate universe and that's where everything kind of follows oh. from there. Okay. So um <clears throat> So Jotaro's in this in this series now. And he just kind of shows up every now and then, and he's and it's like, well, Jotaro can stop time and punch things really fast. Like, well, I can only stop time for a couple of seconds, and only inside a limited area. So you can still fucking stop time, asshole. <laughs> you know, it, it is a thing, uh, and this is something that's going to become more of a factor as we get into later parts. There's a character in the next part who literally just had to be written out of the series because he was too powerful, where Araki mm-hmm. kind of has an issue with power creep or characters that he just puts in that are too powerful. Josuke, or sorry, Jotaro is, you know, a crazy strong character right now. And they, they use him, I think, effectively at times. He does actually get to do things. It isn't as though he shows up and does nothing like every time. It's like, there was a big fight. I just showed up. Is everything okay? Like it ended a minute ago. He's like, darn, my time stopping power sure would have been helpful there. <laughs> but there are several oh, times, <laughs> there are times where that does happen, where it's like, it's like, oh man, I can't wait. I'm going to help you fight this stand user, Josuke. Oh, I've been shot. I won't be able to use my power right now and stuff like that. You're like, man, it's kind of annoying. Uh, but he still gets his moments there, but there are issues. It's not just him. I think part of the reason we don't get, like, Okuyasu with his own fights is because it's like, the hand's really it's fucking strong. Stuff. It's fucking obliterates anything it touches. This is crazy strong. I'm going to very sparingly use this guy, and I have a handicap with his stupidity as well. 
Uh, Thank God for that. He's yeah, Oyukasu, Okuyasu rather, uh, gets introduced pretty early on in the series. He's a uh, you know one of those like oh well he's a villain, but Josuke beat him, and Josuke showed what an awesome person he is. So now they're friends. Yes. Um, and uh, he's their relationship is kind of adorable, honestly, because they're just these two idiots who like each other hanging out. They're, they're like always they're like always walking to school together. It's like, hey, looks like Koichi got himself in another big, big fucking big problem. I love Okuyasu. He is maybe my favorite like side character in all of JoJo because he's such a fucking idiot, but he's so like earnest about it, like. He's very open about it, and, like, you can see him... It's just, like, watching him and, like, the gears in his mind try to turn. You're like, god damn it, this dude... Like, there's an idiot in, like, every cast, but, like, Okuyasu really just takes the cake when he, like, just, like, walks into situations. It's like, hey, there's a weird piece of trash on the floor. You know there's stand users all around town. Usually things that stick out as odd shouldn't be interacted with. He's like, I'm gonna put my face into it. Like, <laughs> You're like, all right, I guess Okuyasu's out of this. But he's a good dude deep down, and I really love that. And he has a a surprisingly sweet kind of story that involves his older brother uh, and his father and, you know, the kind of relationship they have. And I, I love what transpires out of that. I love the relationship that, that uh, Josuke and Okuyasu have. And I, I absolutely adore how uh, Okuyasu does get a very significant and awesome moment uh, towards the very end of the series that yeah. justifies kind of this dude and everything. I, I thought this is a series that upon rereading it, I forgot how much really raw emotion was to it. I completely forgot yeah. just like how poignant the, the relationship between Josuke and Joseph was like, I completely just forgot how touching those moments they do share in the series are and how it is like a relationship that has to build a little bit. Like they don't start off as friends and you know, you also have to deal with like, Joseph as this slowly becoming senile old man who's like dying. You're like, oh god, <laughs> time conquers us all. This this was definitely a series that kind of hit a yeah. There's a lot of character work in this, and it made me really, really, really like it. Um, I mean, I, I've liked JoJo up to this point, but. It's nice to know that you can just have these nice little character interactions and sweet little sides to these characters that, you know, part three would just make you think that everyone's supposed to just be a stoic badass. You yeah, know? I was going to say, I think the most, like, character development that occurs within part three is kind of, outside of characters dying and then being driven by that, is mm -hmm. uh, uh, Polnareff trying to get revenge for his sister. Yeah. And that's kind of really it. And... This is a pretty big change where it's like, oh, these aren't characters on a global assassination mission. A lot of these are just fucking kids, like teenagers yeah. in this town, and they have teenager problems. Like, there is still a little bit of that, like, morality whiplash that occurs when you're like, some of these guys who become allies later were really big shitheads before they became allies. But, like, you're able to still, like, like Highway Stars, one I, 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 like, absolutely adore that this dude, like, gets a redemption arc, and you're like, by the end, you're like, I do fuck you highway star this is great i love you <laughs> you do it bro you saved him for that paper shredder <laughs> i don't know i don't know how still i'm not entirely certain how it worked but you did it um okay the very beginning of this series uh josuke shows up and of course you know koichi's getting bullied like he always is and josuke just randomly gets into getting involved with it 
And the bullies decide to just murder this tiny little tortoise. This poor little innocent tortoise is like, ah, throw it against the wall. And Jessica's like, hey, you shouldn't have done that. Oh, you want you guy with your stupid hair? And he's just like, Fah! And he beats up the guy, and then he goes and he goes and heals the little turtle. Like, oh! This is... <laughs> and immediately was just like, I don't care about anything that has happened before this point. Literally, chapter one or two, I was like, fuck it, Josuke is the best JoJo. Because he went <laughs> and he healed that tiny little tortoise. <laughs> Part four is maybe very nice because animal cruelty is very much still a thing, but at least it has happy endings to it. Like every animal that may die either gets redemption or comes back or gets healed or has something. It, like, it's not just like Dio threw Danny in a fucking oven and be sad. That dog is dead. It's like, fuck you. That dog is going to make sure your villain rots in fucking zombie hell for the rest of his life. That actually happens with one of these animals. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's satisfying that way. And, uh, I enjoy it for that. But I, I actually want to note something really quick here because it, it, it got brought up there that, that Josuke has this, uh, as TV Trosa put it, berserk button about his hair. Mm-hmm. He does not, he does not tolerate people insulting his hair. And the reason we find out later is because he was stranded with his mother during a snowstorm. Uh, he was freezing. They were, you know, very likely not going to survive and a random person with that hairstyle and like a, you know, kind of like a school kind of delinquent coat shows up and saved them, got them to a hospital. And because of that, Josuke, you know, modeled his hair after that guy and insulting his hair is like insulting his savior, his idol. And I've heard a lot of people are trying to like rationalize. They're like, what was the whole explanation behind why a guy who looked exactly like Josuke was the one that saved him? And I've never understood why people have to make, like, it, it, why they have to make a more complicated answer to what was a simple problem of he sees someone who looks like him. It's not actively him. It's not like he was like, Josuke, you're going to do great things one day. And I know because it's me, wink. It's just a guy <laughs> who looked like him. A lot of people really overcomplicate this thing. Literally, maybe, as soon as you started bringing this up, someone in the chat was just like, it's him! <laughs> maybe there was. and I, 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 Maybe I have heard somebody say that there was supposed to be some twist that was going to, like, make that the thing. But I'm so glad it didn't, because it's one of those things where it's like, not everything has to be a special thing. <laughs> it was Kuwabara. <laughs> you don't have to time travel and to interact with yourself. That's why he likes Okuyasu, because that guy also reminds me. He's like, well, this dude thinks that like Okuyasu. He's pretty cool. <laughs> But I do like, it's even like that is like a small story that is pretty satisfying where you're just like, it's kind of like, it's a sweet thing. Um, and it's, it's just nice to sort of see characters with these like very weird as this, uh, is a bizarre adventure, uh, sort of buttons to push, but it's just fun seeing them with these like weird personality quirks and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh gosh. I want to talk a little bit about, yeah, uh, Okiyasu's power, the hand. It's awesome. You know, well, because, like, I, I, I was looking over stuff, and I was like, okay, yeah, Crazy Diamond, all right. That's uh, Heaven's Door, okay. The fuck is the hand? And so I looked up, and it's like, it's a reference to the band. The band, yeah. It's like, that's fucking lame. <laughs> I'm just going to pretend it's not about that one Mighty Max commercial. (laughs) (laughs) 
It might as well be. I mean, watch our Q and A episode that we record this week. <laughs> I think I think the hand is also the only stand name because I, I I kind of refreshed myself mostly by going through and watching the anime that that mm-hmm. came out in the past year, and I think the hand is the only stand name that doesn't get changed because it, it I guess skirts copyrights. This is not actually named after the band. Uh, but everything else is renamed to sometimes hilarious circumstances. So oh, like right, it's, yeah, because, like, you know, Tempetti and and uh, stuff like that. Yeah, like, it's not Crazy Diamond, it's Shining Diamond. It's not, um, I'm trying to think who else is on there. It's not, I can't remember what Red Hot Chili Peppers becomes. It's something really weird, but, uh. Weirder than Red Hot Chili Pepper? <laughs> the one that I, I love is, uh, Bad Company, because mm-hmm. It's literally on the dude's fucking collar. It says right. bad co. And he's like, my stand. Worse company. <laughs> it's like, all right. <laughs> Dodge that one. <laughs> highway go-go instead of highway star. There's a good ones in there. Terrible company. <laughs> oh, yeah. So what's, what's that? Someone brought up what's Killer Queen. Killer Queen's Killer Queen, I think, actually. I guess that's the other one that doesn't change. Okay. Well, because I guess Killer Queen, like, maybe because the killer's in there, it's enough to be derivative and not be just you're using Queen as the band. But Killer, as... but Killer Queen's a song by Queen. Maybe they just didn't give a fuck. I don't know. Because <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> sure... They'll never think this. <laughs> I'm trying to remember if uh, Bites the Dust is in there, but I think it's the actual stand... According to this, according to the chat. Deadly Queen, is it? I did just watch it, but I feel like it... It's tough because sometimes I'm listening to the uh uh the dialogue where clearly they're not saying the fake right. names. They're just like crazy a diamond and it's like shining diamond on the screen. So I don't know. <laughs> it's definitely shining diamond. Don't pay no attention to this. <laughs> uh, so I'll, I'll specify in case you are somebody who's enjoyed JoJo only through the anime. Uh, just note, I will only be using what is the actual band name interpretation. Not not to be shitty or spiteful or anything, but. I mean, it is the intended purpose, but it's also, it's what I grew up with, so, or, you know, grew up reading, so that's what's stuck in my head. Um, I guess I'll talk a little bit about the ending. Uh, by the way, I guess if you, if we want to, like, put, put this down before going too far into spoiler territory, Jojo Part 4 is fucking great. I love it. <laughs> oh, that's great to hear. <laughs> um... I love the, I love the characters, and I love how things are getting actually really bizarre now uh, in terms of how the fights have to go down because of the, how weirdly they work and uh, the weird stuff that characters have to come up with in order to get the edge on each other. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So we're, we're about to jump into spoilers. I'll, I'll state what's probably already pretty obvious, but again, huge recommendation for me from part four as well. Reading it again, going through it again, made me only enjoy it more. Alright. So let's talk a little bit about Kira, uh, our, uh, our villain. He's odd in the... <laughs> he is wonderful in my mind because he is, he, he embodies that bizarre adventure thing, feeling so much because he is, he's almost like a collection of ticks merged together into a, like, fucking sadistic monster. Like, it's, it's, he's, like, comprised of, like, weird oddities. Like, he collects women's hands and dates their hands as real couples and clips his nails and keeps them in jars. And 
He, like, has all these weird things he will or won't do, and he doesn't have aspirations of anything beyond living in a town and murdering women to take their hands. And it's, I it's, love his justification when, like, he's being hunted down in order to pay for his crimes. He's just like, I just want to live a boring, vegetative lifestyle. Why won't they let me do that? <laughs> he really, he's like, I don't get it. I, these guys will not let me just live in this town. I want to be like a plant, not having any conflict. Also a plant that sometimes murders women and dates their hands. But what are you going to do? Now, small child, I'm going to put a bomb inside of your brain. Oh. And if you tell anyone about me, then it will blow them up. <laughs> but what I love is... Kira had to be a very memorable character because he's following the heels of Dio, who's like the fucking OG anime villain. Like someone you're who not gonna, you're not gonna do Dio and then beyond him. You better do something different. Yeah, so. and I, I that very much so is what happens here because even though this character is another one who gets a uh, later ability to bend space and time to some <laughs> degree, uh, Kira does feel fitting to this setting. Uh, like a villain on a smaller degree, you know, his power is not that absolute. He can't stop time. And you know, you're like, how can this group of seven characters stop him? It's, it's not about that. It's kind of established several times that like, if he gets caught, he's fucked. He, he's not going to beat all these guys. They're going to be able to crush him, but he uses kind of tactics, strategy, you know, trickery and just pure insidiousness to kind of escape the, the second theme in Jojo part four's opening is a uh, chase and it's kind of fitting because that's, you know, after they find out this guy's in the town, that's what the series becomes about for a while chasing this guy down who they don't know who he is. They just know there's a killer in the town. Well, it and, helps that he can disguise himself pretty goddamn well. <laughs> yeah. It helps that there's yeah someone in town who could change your face into anything else if they want. So it's pretty, pretty handy in that way. Oh, so it's nice to have a guy who floats around in a picture, in a, in a Polaroid picture. <laughs> that is super handy. <laughs> uh, so useful. Why doesn't every villain do that? <laughs> but, but I love that. It's, it's this really kind of awesome scenario where you created this villain who is not anywhere near as flamboyant and loud as a Dio is. But he's still memorable because he's such an insidious little fuck. He's so, just, like, you hate him. He he keeps fucking escaping and winning even when shit is going against him. He keeps getting away out and he's just like, luck is on my side yet again. I, Kira. Something always comes along <laughs> to help me out. <laughs> Thank God that truck came by and ran over that person who was going to reveal who I was. And I killed that one little kid. <laughs> it's like, oh, fatty. Fatty Harvest. Why won't they let me live? Why won't they leave me alone? <laughs> but uh, but I love that guy. I love because he's he's he strikes such a unique chord. Uh, he didn't have to fit in that same mold, but from the moment you see like a fucking dude who is dating a woman's hand that he keeps in like a, a fast food bag, you're like, all right, I want to see where this goes, and it, he doesn't disappoint to the very end. He is a fucking dickhead through and through, and it's awesome seeing how he works. Like, he's he's threatening, but also always on the back foot, and it's kind of a unique situation with that. Yeah, he's, he's a little bit like, you know, another Kira, where it's like, well, you know, if he gets caught and cornered, then he's going to get taken down immediately, so he's just got to stay one step ahead of everyone. Of course, you know, he's considerably less, you know, Q 
Kira E in many other ways, but you know. <laughs> also, he is supremely his stand is one of the coolest. I fucking love Killer Queen. It's Killer so Queen awesome. Cool. I also love how Killer Queen has basically the opposite ability of Crazy Diamond. Yeah. It's like he turns people into bombs as opposed to putting them back together. He blows it's, them apart. Them. To the part where uh he can blow somebody up to the point where there's nothing left of them afterwards. Like, yeah. Like, that's uh <laughs> rather <laughs> Rather good bomb. <laughs> it's very good. It's like, this obliterated everything. There's not even smoke around it. I guess you would say, like, it's stand explosions, so I guess only stand users can see them, but still, it's like... There was a body here originally at one point, right? <laughs> where, where did Sagichi go? It's like, there should be something of him around here. <laughs> Besides one sad little harpist who ran over that button. Oh! <laughs> uh, I think I, I really enjoy in part four, sort of the way it's paced. It's, it's weird because it's, it's, it can be infuriating at times. You will go a while without gaining into the plot or gain a little bit. And then let's bounce off to something else. And there are a lot of fights or situations that you could really call filler. Like I was stunned when the anime did the entire Pearl jam scene. I was like, this is something we can cut away. I, Tor, Torarini or whatever his fucking name is does not do anything else of consequence in this series. This is it for him. <laughs> but they still included it, and there's a lot of things like that. Like, oh, hey, Rowan's going to have a fight against the fucking uh, rock-paper-scissors stand user, or Josuke's going to have a fight inside of a, a steel fucking tower out in the middle of nowhere. It's like, How's he going to win this rock-paper-scissors battle? By cheating. <laughs> <laughs> Rowan's a fuck, by the way. I've... <laughs> I love that uh, Araki put a self-insert of himself, and he's the biggest shithead in the entire series. Like, even everyone else who's, like, a villain originally becomes a good guy later is, uh, like, they seem to redeem themselves. Rowan's still a complete fuck towards the end. Like, he's doing good stuff, but he's still just such a dickhead about it all. Let me just, let me just paralyze this small child so I can probe their mind. <laughs> <laughs> Why does it say don't read beyond this point? Oh, it says I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh! It's pretty satisfying to watch him get exploded like seven times. He does it keep happening. Oh, uh, boy. I know Araki never said Rowan is a self-insert. But He's a manga he... artist in a manga. Yeah. What are you going to, what do you want? But I, I also fucking love that that is like a plot point in there where he's like, Anyone who is experiences the beauty of my manga will be affected by Heaven's Door. And Josuke reads it. He's like, eh, "It's okay." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no. I love Josuke. <laughs> I, actually, I want to talk about because I feel like we didn't actually get much into his personality. We talked about his power, which is really unique. But I think the thing that I loved about Josuke is he had that same element of being able to become a complete badass, like just that look of terror, intimidation at Joe Gerard. But he had that fun personality of Joseph. He's a trickster. He's kind of a shithead at times. He's a kid. He's a teenager. And he actually acts like a teenager at times. Like, there's there's several situations where Josuke and his friends kind of get themselves into a problem. Kind of based on their own greed or, like, shitty behavior or things like that. Like, there are a couple times where they're really the ones in the wrong. It just happens that the person they're going up against is an evil stand user, and you're like, all right, maybe I guess you don't deserve Now we don't that. have to learn anything from this. <laughs> <laughs> but it is really, like, it's a cool thing that this guy has such a fun personality to him to kind of contrast those moments where he's, like, going to be covered in blood, standing tall over a cowering villain, being like, I'm going to fucking obliterate you. I'm like, 
this is awesome. Like, I, I love that kind of dual contrast between them. One of my favorite moments, actually, from JSK is at the end, because, uh, you know, they're fighting against Kira. And Kira, it looks like, has just killed Oyukasu, Okuyasu. Uh, uh, Josuke, you know, has raced in order to get them into cover so that he can actually, you know, use his healing abilities on Okuyasu, and Okuyasu's just not waking up. And so he's, you know, desperately trying to get his friend to wake up, but he's in denial that he's dead. Uh, and, you know, it's like, wow, it you know, really shows like, hey, this guy actually does really care about this guy and things get to him and affect him emotionally and stuff. And it's nice to see this like, hey, this relationship that built up over the course of the entire series. Yeah, it really had a big impact on him as a person. And then right when it looks like, you know, oh, just case going to actually lose the fight and get blown the fuck up. Okuyasu comes in and saves the day because he actually... I was like, yes! (laughs) It's so satisfying. It is so fucking satisfying. Because I was, I remember reading that and being like almost prepared that it was like, we're going to see some deaths. I mean, we didn't get out of part three without losing quite a few people. So I was like, Okuyasu died there. And I was bummed. I was like, I love this character. He never got that awesome big moment. But he gets that moment where you're like, he fucking stops that tech. And I, I love this fucking quote where he's just like, you know, sometimes I wonder about what happens, like where the things that I, I, you know, send away go, but then my head starts hurting when I think about it. So I stop and poof, just sends away the fucking bubble and tells this story about like how he had a dream when he was dead about his brother and following him. And his brother's like, no, where do you want to go? It's time for you to follow your own self. Uh, I love that the, it's kind of insinuated that Okuyasu is one of like the strongest stands out there, but he's just kind of too much of an idiot to know how to properly use it. But in that one moment, he's 100% effective. He knows exactly how to kind of use he it. He knows and, exactly what he needs to do in that instance. He saves Josuke from death. He takes away uh, Kira's trump card, which is a cat plant that shoots air bullets, which Kira combines with his bomb ability to turn them into exploding fireballs. <laughs> which is awesome. And that made me sad because that cat looked a lot like Liam, and he gets killed at one point. And that made me really What kind sad. of cat was Liam, Chris? He was a big, not the plant version, I mean the normal cat version of him. That was a big, fat, gray cat. <laughs> he barely ever controlled the air to shoot out bombs. <laughs> But, like, I love that it's just a small touch, but, like, Okuyasu pulls the cat out, and then in the epilogue, you can see that he's taking care of that cat now alongside his father, who's, like, still kind of, you know, changed the way he is, but he's, you know, they're all happy. Like, yeah. it's not like a dour ending, like, my dad's still cursed. He's like, no, I'm gonna hang out with my dad, we're still gonna have fun, and I'm gonna hang out with this fucking new cat, too, because, fuck it, it's awesome. I love that. One of the weirdest parts was probably... The sudden um, promotion to main cast member of the God, what was the little kid's name? Oh, Hayato. Yeah, I'm just like, ah, well, I guess this guy is the sidekick now. <laughs> <laughs> that it, that is something that becomes, uh, or at least happens again later on as well, where another little kid becomes a very significant character towards the end of the series, and. I I think I enjoy it, though, because it's not like a Cousin Oliver situation. It makes sense. This is a Shonen series, so having a young boy be one of the heroes is great. But I also love the way it has, like, a real emotional end to it as well, uh, where it's this, you know... He's essentially the son of the guy who Kira kills to take his identity, and he suspects him. And I love that they put in there that he, this kid's like... I didn't 
really have that much of a close connection with my dad before this, but I still hate this guy for taking him from me and putting my mom through this. And this, uh, it broke my heart when I, I experienced it again, going through the end. And it's after everything's happened and his mom is looking out the window being like, oh, honey, start eating dinner. Your dad must be late coming home, so I'll wait until he gets home. And Hayatu, like, stands up and turns away. It's like, no, I'll wait for him, too. And Oh, it's so sad. He knows yeah, what he happened. Knows, he knows that his dad's not coming home, ever. But it has that great kind of conclusion to it, too, of his mom being like, Hayato, have you grown a little bit taller? It's like, yes, mom, I have. There's definitely a big theme of fathership and father-son relationships in this series. Uh, and it, it's, it's much appreciated. I wonder if Araki was getting older around the time that he wrote this one. Maybe that has something to do with it. Well, part six also deals with Jotaro and his kid. So yeah. it's it's uh, something that comes up again. But uh, this one definitely had a lot of the influences of that. Because you had Adam Hart father and Kira as well. And then everything with Hayato and his dad. Um... I think actually I want to I want to touch on one other thing because I, I want to make sure we hit on this before we get too far. Uh, how did you enjoy the highway star fight? Because I've I've referenced it several times in the past, and I want to know how what it was like for you. Uh, <laughs> what can you say? <laughs> he destroys a motorcycle and reassembles it in <laughs> midair. Without dropping below 60! <laughs> I love Josuke's abilities. Like, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I can, I can see why Araki, like, kept on making the abilities for the protagonist more and more weird, because... You know, you start off with just like, okay, well, you know, Jonathan can, like, put key in his fists to punch stuff. It's like, all right, well, fine. Then Joseph will use weird yo-yo cracker ball things and all this other weird stuff. And it's like, all right, well, Josuke's got this thing that lives outside his body that punches stuff. Well, everyone's got a thing that lives outside their body. So, so, or rather, Jotaro's got this thing outside his body that punches stuff. So, everyone's got this ability that has, that's outside their body now. So, you know what? Josuke can, like, destroy and reassemble things, and I'll play around with that, and I can do all sorts of stuff with that. Until eventually I understand that there is someone who turns things into zippers, from what you have told me. So. One of the coolest characters in all of Jojo, too. And someone, a protagonist later on, who has the power to turn themselves into string. So I imagine that a big reason why was because he wanted to just, you know, have more outlandish, interesting, and creative ways of having the hero do stuff. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, um, because it leads to stuff like that, I can definitely see why this, this series as a whole has kind of evolved in that direction. Um it's one of those things where it's like, well, how the hell would, you know, for example, all right, if Jotaro were in that in that circumstance where, you know, he had to run away really fast from something, how would he do that? Well, he 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 wouldn't. He would have to he would have to I mean, he could his stand can move really fast, but he he can't. So he would have to, you know, get really close and punch the guy. It's like so it's, what's just going to do? He's going to get in a motorcycle and run away, and he's going to punch it and reassemble it. <laughs> it's very clear that Araki is a very creative person. He has 
awesome ideas and is not afraid to kind of go very strange with like a concept. I mean, there's one villain in this series whose whole thing is like storing stuff inside of paper as traps to scare you. And it's like, this is such a weird concept, but this dude is making it work. Like it, it's like, this feels right. And the rules are there to kind of make it. So there's some, like you're able to kind of at least vaguely understand what's happening and what's like kind of allowed and not allowed. And I think by giving his, his protagonist these more unique powers, he's able to really showcase that creativity because when he gives someone the ability to like turn themselves into string and you're like, okay, whatever. And then you see the crazy ways they do it. It's a lot more satisfying than when he manages to find a creative way for somebody who's like, my power is to punch things really hard or something like that. It's just, it's something where you're like, you get to see and that's like just how creative and unique and, and strange some of these solutions are. And, that's, I think, a large part of why I love JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is just how all these fights end up taking place. Like, there's such strange settings at times, and it's wonderful in that way. There's an entire fight inside of, like, a steel tower out in the middle of nowhere. It's like, this is so fucking strange. I don't think I have anything else to say about this now. Uh, uh, I think... Yeah, I think ultimately I will. I just want to reiterate that I I loved part four going into this. It was my favorite part. It's kind of what really got me into JoJo. Even having read the god awful Duang scanlations back in the day, uh, I, I'm sure there have to be better ones out there. Although I, I was actually trying to avoid doing this episode until at least we had an announcement that part four was going to get an official translation. That's still not happened yet um, because they're still going through part three. But at the very least, I will stress, uh, make sure you can get like, a, if you have it, get a subscription to Crunchyroll and, and watch the, the series on there. Actually, this is maybe one of the best to do it with too, because the anime is absurdly faithful to the manga. There's mm. almost nothing that is left out of it and uh, is really well animated to give it all that, that kind of focus. Um, but I, I want to also just note, like, this is a, a series with a really satisfying emotional core to it. It has a fantastic final fight that doesn't have to take place on a burning bridge in the middle of Egypt with all that sort of stuff. It has it takes a, place inside some dude's house. Yeah. I mean, there's just still a, a lot of explosions. Just a person's but... house. <laughs> yeah. There's still explosions. It's still got its big, but I love that this series moved into a smaller, more intimate setting and did not lose the appeal. Like it still mm -hmm. kept itself as satisfying. It became even more satisfying because of it. I think that's an a, a extraordinarily difficult task. It makes sense why this was Araki's favorite part to do. And I love the way everything comes to an end. I love that. Uh, um, I'm going to blank on her name. I want to say it's Renee, but I know it's not the ghost girl. Rainy, Rainy, Rainy or Rainy. I think it is. I love how she and Arnold get their fucking just desserts. I love how basically everyone gets their one fuck you to, uh, uh, Kira at you're the, uh, by the end of it. And you're just like, this is so satisfying. I love it. And, uh, it's just a really satisfying series. I think it was one that I remembered some of the coolest standout moments going in originally, but it's one that having finished it, I'm like, there's a lot more emotional moments or just good character moments that, are just so much more rewarding to enjoy now. And, uh, actually, I remembered it. I remembered the thing. Okay. So I just, yeah, this is a really fantastic part. Um, this is what really cemented JoJo as an amazing series for me. I think 
I've read Jojo out of order, so this is probably like the second mm. part I read or something like that. But uh, I think this is just it, it, this is everything I love about Jojo Concentrated. Um, I do think the actual best protagonist is the one in part six. But I will say Josuke is still my favorite Jojo just because mm. he's he's such an amazing blend of those two things. So uh, Kira's downfall at the end. Um, he, you know, he, he, he has this, uh, basically battle of wits with Josuke where, you know, he's trying to use one of his various explosion abilities to blow Josuke the, the fuck up and kill him. He starts off by using this thing called, uh, another one bites the dust, you know, might as well use another queen song for, uh, this, that ability. Why not? Um, where if, he chooses one person and if they reveal anything to him or anyone tries to question them about him, then they will turn to a bomb and die. I don't know how that all quite works, but it does. It just does. Okay. <laughs> um, so he does this with Hayato at the beginning and there's several chapters where Hayato gets like more and more like just, falling into despair because no matter what he does, these people who are trying to help him and stop this guy from putting his mom in danger, keep dying and nothing happens and the world resets and then they blow up again. Uh, but he manages to eventually instead get uh, Kira to reveal himself, just tricks him into doing it. So it's like, Oh, very clever little kid uh, getting him to do that. And so as a result of that, he's just like, well, shit, I need Killer Queen here to defend me, so I have to pull it out of Hayato, and then that ends the cycle. All right. So then he and Jessica just have a fight. And uh they're doing all sorts of stuff. He's trying to throw air bubbles into Josuke in order to turn them into bombs and blow them up inside of him. Uh He ends up nearly murdering Okuyasu. Uh Josuke does all this cool stuff where, like, he, <laughs> he uses crazy diamond to throw some of his own blood really hard in order to split an air bubble. <laughs> but then the blood splatters on Akira's shoulder and he puts some of that, some of his own blood again onto a piece of glass and throws it. And the glass then turns into a homing beacon because he puts his blood back together outside of his body <laughs> into a homing missile. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> One of the best parts of JoJo is describing the crazy moments to it. Like, those yeah, are honestly, some of the most yeah. fun parts where you're just like, it, it just has, like, how long it goes on and how intricate it becomes to explain it. I'm like, no, so he has to unzip his own heart to make sure that it makes no noise. <laughs> it's like, all right, of all this. But uh even after they managed to get Stray Cat, uh, the air bubble plant thing, away from Kira... Uh, and he and Josuke just kind of have to throw down at this point. Oh no, uh, you know, Kira manages to, uh, right after he's finally pushed into a corner, he manages to get a hostage and he's like, I'm going to just turn her into my time bomb and reset everything. So I'll be fine. And then it, there's a, a false finish where it looks as though he's gotten away and time is reset, but no, he's actually dead. He's a ghost and Raimi and her dog, Arnold and the hands of all of his victims come and destroy him <laughs> or whatever the fuck you do with ghosts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bad things happen to his ghost. I don't know exactly what they are, 
but a hand monster gets him so and tears him apart. So <laughs> trying to think, he definitely does not suffer the worst fate of all the antagonists, but it's up there. It's Jojo villains perfect. start to get much and much worse endings, and this dude was pretty bad. <laughs> Honestly, Dio doesn't doesn't have that terrible a fate by comparison to <laughs> not the least. I mean, it sucked, I'm sure, but um. So now, then they reveal uh, how they got out of that situation, which is whenever uh, he's going to blow something up, uh, Kira kind of does this like trigger the detonator motion with his hand. It's pretty cool. So basically what happened was Jotaro got close enough to him to stop time and punched his hand and he couldn't detonate them. Jotaro saved the day in Jotsuke's series. Well, the thing so is, that's one of the reasons I don't like Jotaro as much anymore. <laughs> and I, I would agree that it is a little weird that he's the one who gets, I guess, what is considered the finishing blow. But uh, what, what is important to note is that it's not a one thing. Like He actually would not have been able to get there in time if it weren't for Koichi using Echoes 3 to keep Kira from pulling the trigger. That gave Josuke enough time to actually get in close and use his attack for it. And even Jotaro's doing that punch didn't actually end Kira. Kira actually killed himself accidentally by scooting into the way of a backing-up ambulance <laughs> and had his head crushed and rolled over, which is fucking dark as shit when you think about it. I love the fucking emergency worker. I was like, I didn't see him! <laughs> Like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, I'm just like, oh my god. <laughs> and then everyone gets their, their big fuck you to Kira. We mentioned before Okuyasu gets that in that moment where he saves Josuke and then pulls out Stray Cat and, you know, Josuke gets his big hits on him and this is an entire fight with, with, uh, Kira is full of Josuke just coming up with creative ways to kind of get back at this guy. So, um, I, I, it would annoy me more if Josuke didn't just have an incredibly satisfying fight with Kira before that and is so fucking crippled right, right now that it seems clear he wouldn't be able to, I guess, do much in this moment. He is jacked up by the end of that. He is like, oh, he's, like, yeah, banister through half of his body at that point. But no, I, I, I yeah, <laughs> he's, he'll be, he'll recover. But I love it. I love just how it all kind of has that satisfactory kind of wrap-up ending to it. I think this is one of the few parts where just about everything works. I'm still not crazy about fucking Earth, Wind, and Fire alien dude. He still he gets a good moment during the Superfly fight, but I'm still like, what a weird even fucking like, character. Even without the descriptors, just talking about things in vagaries is great. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's this guy in called Earth, Wind, and Fire. He says he's an alien. Nobody knows if he is or isn't, and it's never explained. You're just meant to be like, is he one, or does he have a stand that makes him seem like one? I don't know. <laughs> he's like eighth most important ally character, so I guess it's not worth wondering about. But he is in there. All right. I think now we're done talking about time is unbreakable. Yeah. Um, looking forward to part five. Absolutely. Before we do that, we're just going to have to read the worst stretch of Pokemon Adventure. <laughs> well, we're also going through what I consider to be one of the least interesting parts of JoJo next, too. So. All right. Let's uh, get to the recap portion of my recap. Beginning with My Hero Academia. It's my hero, my hero number 161, Bright Future. Um, we get a little bit of a kind of just 
By the way, yeah, we have that chapter dedicated to the League of Villains fucking shit up. Here's all the recovery effort going on with the heroes. We gotta go back to them and the aftermath of their mission. So, um, they make a note that there weren't, there was not actually a whole lot of damage that was caused by the fight out in the street, partially uh, in part because of what Deku was doing. Uh, you know, they fought in the air, and then he made sure to uh, get the fight back in the vicinity of the, uh, you know, chasm in the ground that they opened up when they were punched, they, the ground collapsed and stuff. Um, also, it was a it was a weekday, so people were at work. So, yay! Batman. We went to the abandoned buildings district for this fight. The Batman versus Superman explanation. <laughs> um, there's a weird thing that uh, Hajire, I think is her name says, which is that, you know, Nijire, that was it. Um, she says dealing with big ones is tricky with her quirk. And I'm just thinking, like, but your power twists around. Wouldn't that make fighting big things your specialty because they can't dodge your weird slow attacks? You know, when I first read it, it made perfect sense, but now when you say it, it definitely doesn't, so I don't know <laughs> Whatever. Meanwhile, um, hospital time. Deku is like the one who didn't get fucked up for once. <laughs> yeah, hooray! The dude's like everything seems to be fine for you for the most part. Like this is this is strange. Everyone else you know is so much worse, but you're good. You're okay. I mean, I guess that's what happens when you have someone who's just reversing the damage on you constantly. But yeah, hooray! Deku made it through a big battle without getting his arms fucked up. He's progressing. Um. Aizawa is there. He's a, he looks like he's okay after, you know, getting stabbed a bunch. Um, he just says that he got 10 stitches, which when you consider the number of times he was stabbed, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Doing all right. Um, they go over to, there's a quick little note of Kirishima who is like basically comedically bandaged up. <laughs> he's so busted up. Yeah. They're like he's, he's covered in lacerations extensively for all the beatings he took. And he just says, Mummy. I'm like, what is that in response to? <laughs> is he just shouting that out to nobody right now? Like, if you walk by Kirishima's room, he's just like, Mummy. <laughs> mummy. And not, not know the sound that mummies make, so you're just, like, doing the Pokemon thing. Mummy! <laughs> uh, then they say that Sun Eater, Amajiki, got his face split open. But there should be no lasting damage. I guess when you've got superhero healing technology, then that's true, but that would be very fucked up um, and would probably leave lasting damage otherwise, having your face split open. And uh, Fat Gum is doing all right. Um, he's got multiple fractures, and, and he's hungry, but that's about it. Uh, and uh, Rock Lock is going to be okay, and his wife and baby are there to see him all. Yay. That's nice. I like how she, how his wife is very emotional, and his kid just kind of like, uh, hey, Dad. Yeah, what, up? <laughs> what up, Pops? You doing good? Man, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's nice. I don't have to walk anywhere. She carry me. <laughs> this is an awesome invention. <laughs> I love this world. Uh, and then they... Then Aizawa mentions Aerie is sleeping. Her fever has not gone down. She is in isolation, and um, they 
she still can't really control her quirks, so that's why she's in isolation. If you were to stay in physical contact with her by continuously destroying your own body, uh, there's, not, there's not a lot of people out there who could handle that, and even if they could, what would happen if her ability ramped up to the point where you couldn't offset the damage? And uh, also, there's her mental state to consider, and uh, so they just kind of have to keep her in isolation, especially because Aizawa is the only one who can stop her abilities, like, at all. So, hmm. um, and also, as I mentions, which means we can't rely on her quirk. And Dick is like, what does that mean? And, and uh, then, um, Deku sees that, uh, suddenly, that Toshinori, All Might, is there, along with Recovery Girl, Bubble Girl, the Centipede Guy. Um, and Dick is like, why are you, what's going on? Why is everybody related to Night Eye here? And the old girl says, because, oh my man, she starts to cry. He's like, oh. (laughs) Yeah, the moment, like, this starts to happen when you see everybody there, you're like, is Night Eye okay? Nope. (laughs) And then you get to the next page and you're like, that's a lot of tubes in his stomach. Holy shit. Um, yeah, so we were wondering, like, I wonder if they'll be able to save the arm. Apparently not. No. <laughs> That's even like the least of his worries. Even if Night Eye recovers from this, it's like, there's no arm for him now. That's, that's gone. There's no doing physical activities for him ever. It, it, it's one of those things where beatings like the kind Night Eye took are hard to, like, always take seriously because it's shonen and... Giant injuries are kind of a cartoonish exaggeration norm. You know, Usopp gets cracked in the face with a 20 ton, like a 10 ton hammer and he's okay. You know, we you just see his skull fracture in x-ray. He's like, eh, bandages will be fine. Yeah. Good job, Chopper. We just went through Jojo, which had several points where characters have like holes blown through them and you're just like, they'll get over it. They got Josuke around. He'll, he'll heal them up. Even if Josuke got it, like, it'll, it'll get better. But when Night Eye, Jojo, he'll be fine. Yeah. But when Night Eye has it happen, you're just like, Ooh, okay. Well, I'm sure there's some healer who can help him out here. And this chapter is like, no, not really. <laughs> you were, you've been taking it easy for a while, kiddo. I'm about to give you some real. Um, not I kind of gives All Might a little bit of shit for not coming to see him until he was on his deathbed. All Might's like, um, I did, I didn't really know what to say about what happened. So, yeah. <laughs> um. Deku's like, please hang in there. And Night Eye's like, ha ha, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, and Night Eye then says, I just always wish for your happiness. That's all. So if you decided to fight against fate, that's fine in my book. And All Might, of course, says, well, you need to fight too. And Night Eye's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but he, he brings up, of course, you know, the big, future that he saw for All Might. He says, all this time I wanted to keep you from getting killed. I searched for a way to change things all this time, but nothing came of it. There was nothing I could do to change the future. But Midoriya showed me something today. I can never clear my head of those thoughts. Can't change it. Nothing will change. That negativity was always in the back of my mind. But within thoughts is a sort of energy. I believe that now. Energy from striving for a certain future when one doesn't allow for doubt, a vision that strong, energy from wishing. And when we combine our hearts together and all hold hands and he, 
I can't really make fun of this. He's dying while saying this. So. <laughs> it's also, this is like a, a very important, I think, sentiment in a superhero sort of series. It's that somewhat of that aspect of like Superman, that concept of hope, even in hopeless situations. Uh, he's, he's always kind of thought like, all right, I can't, you know, I've tried to stop night or uh, all my from dying, but nothing I do seems to change it. You just can't change that sort of thing. And Deku, despite, you know, hearing like it just doesn't happen continues to fight against it and there's a beauty in that that does sometimes give success and that that inspiration that motivation fuels people around them it's it's a very important element to have for a like a big superhero like a uh deku or superman or etc and he says like you know i saw that certain future where you know we would die and we would fail but all those people worked really really hard and believed in this goal and what we saw him today was perhaps the result of all that energy centered on Midoriya. And uh, that's kind of what One for All is all about, isn't it? So We see all of his friends in their big, dramatic, intense moments. All of his except, friends. Except all of his friends and except, Rock Lock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> except for Suyu and uh, Uraraka, who just happened to be there. And it looks like they may be questioning their lunch decisions. Is there a big emotional moment? Because they didn't have one. Just, in the have to have, just have to have images of them in like schoolgirl uniforms because there weren't any battle scenes with them looking determined. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, they didn't have like individual scenes, but because the other ones all it's spot on. Those are moments of like heavy emotional, like dramatic tension. And for theirs, it's very much like, and, like I feel like Suyu's was maybe like, uh, are, are you we sure about that? Yeah, it should, looks like it's not. <laughs> should we all go in the same car or something like that? Like, there's <laughs> just nothing to it. But you know, Nino basically is kind of at the point where it's like I can rest easy now that the future can be changed, and that's what he essentially says. But uh, at that moment, uh, Mirio bursts in despite his injuries, and he because someone apparently told him, "Hey, Nino is going to die," and he's against all the doctor's orders and stuff, is bursting to be with his mentor. And he's the most emotionally torn up of all of them. Uh, he's like, you know, demanding, you've got to live, don't die on me. Uh, and Nidai says, I put you through so much hardship. If only I'd been there for you. And Mira says, well, I only got stronger because of everything you taught me. It's thanks to you that I've got the life that I do. You've got to keep teaching me. You can't die now. And... Nidai, in his dying moments, lifts up his hand and says, in the beginning, I only brought you in as a potential vessel. Well, he's thinking this. But you stuck by me, believed in me, and at some point you became my pride and joy. And he uses his foresight ability while touching Mirio, and he says, you'll be okay. You'll be as fine a hero as any. That is one part of the future that mustn't be changed. So keep smiling. Oh, <laughs> my it's, heart chest thing. This void in my heart is feeling sad. It's crying. There's water coming out of it. I the pulse in the black hole that normally <laughs> dwells in my chest. <laughs> this scene is, is, is hard-hitting because, uh, look, the end of the chapter is the boop, boop, boop kind of thing, and... Who knows what will happen. I'm not sure if that's the heart monitor or the funeral dirge yeah. you just did there. <laughs> well, I didn't want to do too many beeps. It gets annoying after a while. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I'm still not entirely 100% married to the, the possible, like, the, the resolution that, like, oh, Nida is dead. It seems very likely. And damn, would that be a, a fucking blow to the fucking gut if that's the case? Because not many series are going to have the kind of the gumption to do that 
when you introduce a character with this sort of level of significance at this point in the story. You know, so it'd be like if Jiraiya died one arc into being introduced as opposed to several arcs and a time skip down the line, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but what really hits me on this scene is when Mirio shows up and you're like, oh my god. Like, to Mirio, this is his All Might. Like, this is his mentor. This is the guy who taught him everything. And this is a Mirio, and it's not addressed in this chapter because it's not really a point for it right now. But this is a Mirio, too, who may never be a hero. He is maybe never going to have powers again. We don't know. Presumably, maybe there's a way to reverse that. Maybe Well, they just so happen to have taken into custody a girl who can reverse personal times for people. Yeah. So there's that. Um, And for the time being, and as far as these characters know, he may be quirkless forever. And I don't think he'd ever give up being a hero, but... The fact that he's lost that and now maybe is losing his mentor is, it's devastating. And, you know, I was not the biggest Sir Nighteye fan, but he endeared himself to me as time went on. And it was, I think, really important to kind of see what he kind of grew, uh, you know, what, what kind of grew in him as this arc went on. This was very much an arc kind of that dealt with mentors and heroes, at least on the hero side of thing. And it's pretty tragic to have one of those mentors die. It's uh, the first actual important death that we've gotten uh, in this series. Um, in terms of someone who was actually, you know, connected to one of, like, the good guys. Because I think that the only... I mean, obviously we had, like, you know, Magna die. Um, and there, I think, were... Yeah, there were a couple of villains who bit it as well. But all the heroes... All the good guys have made it so far. Even uh, the original original Ingenium did die. He was just, you know, essentially crippled. Yeah. Uh, and then it's like, oh, yeah, he's super dead. <laughs> Look at those tubes and stuff. Um, and um, I really do like, you know, that he sticks by that philosophy that he had to the end, where it's like, hey, it's important for heroes to smile, so you can't give up hope here just because I'm dead. And, but you've, you know, set my mind at ease. You've helped me to see that things can be better than I, that there's a possibility that I've given up on in the future. So, another step forward for Deku. Um, this time, not really as, in terms of his powers, but in terms of just being a good hero person thing. Yeah, it's, uh, this series, if this is what actually does happen with Nighteye, uh, takes a pretty drastic step forward because a good series is one that can give you consequences and feels like there are real stakes to be had. And if this is something where the villains had an enormous coup last chapter where they they made a big statement and then following that, the heroes, while victorious, lost someone important to them forever, that is something mm-hmm. that shows the series is willing to make those big things. You know, it's not one piece where seven like 700 chapters in, all right, now we'll take somebody out, you know. Uh it's it's pretty uh pretty shocking if this is the case. I'm still again, I'm still a little hesitant. I've I've read shonen manga long enough to be wary on anything until they're like in the ground buried and then maybe a nuke has hit the graveyard to make sure all <laughs> life inside of it has been just radiated to the point of uh, evaporation, but it seems very like that he is dead. Okay. Let's move on to uh, Food Wars, Shokikaki no Soma, Chapter 241, Warrior's Honor. This was a very, 
very surprising chapter. <laughs> what makes you say that? Uh, that one of the members of the Council of Ten has a more heroic motivation than anybody that's currently fighting on the Resistance. Mm. Yeah, I it, guess. Yeah. It's surprising to me that like like oh, everyone else in the Council of Ten that we've kind of known about is either like kind of just neutral or they're a shithead. But with Saito, I mean, yeah, he's a little arrogant, but it's like, no, like. He was dealt a raw hand. So was his mother. Like that's fucked up, and he's he's fighting in spite of that. And I was I was like expecting like the last chapter, like a page at the end, to just be like Saito also poops on children to perfect his sushi or something like that. Like oh, okay, there's that dickhead quality in there that that explains why he's on Central. I um I have to be honest. I've read this. One, I've only read this chapter once before doing this, and literally the only thing that I can remember is, is like uh, okay, they they experience this food by getting sword slashed. But surprisingly, their clothes weren't cut off. Amazing. <laughs> there was a, a, a surprising fake out for me of what I thought we were about to see a, uh, like giant, another, like another sexy food thing. Cause like, mm-hmm. uh, it was a historia is the one judge or something Histoire. like that. Historia. He like talks about, he's like, ooh, it's like a tsunami coming, a, 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 a tsunami of butter being like, like ridden by the bounty of the sea and it's about to go crash down. I expected there to be a shot of like the judges in swimsuits being hit by like this wave of butter from behind or something like that each while they had orgasm faces. By, each of them getting molested by a different fish that's riding the waves in the previous picture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's, they made a good dish. With butter and lots of ingredients and stuff. Okay. They, they like it. It's tasty. Hooray. He looks like a samurai. Cause that's his thing. That is his theme. That is his gimmick. Yeah. All base and support ingredients are in my field. No. All lie well within the reach of my sword. Cause he's a samurai. That's his thing. I mean. Where did such an obsession with fish come from? <laughs> I won't lie. It is kind of cool that that's like his thing. Cause they, they state, they're like, how is he so good at using butter? His specialty is sushi. He's like, yeah, but to be good with sushi and with all ingredients, you need to also have some level of mastery with the stuff that goes with them. <laughs> you can't be like, I am a lobster master, master. But I don't really know how to use, like... Butter? Oh, yeah. Butter God. with lobster? This is... Oh, I'm kind of iffy on butter. It's like, no. Oh, that's, no. <laughs> I'm a I, bu- like, I like to put that lobster on a grill with nothing else and just eventually pick up the blackened, weird, vaguely cooked, unseasoned meat. And then that is the perfect fish dish. <laughs> What do I do in order to enjoy this? Oh, you know, I just gotta pick the thing up in my pants and then just kind of. <laughs> do you not know how to cook, like, eat a lobster? Like, you know, crack it open He's and like, take it apart? I, I, I know how to cook a lobster. I do not know how to eat one. <laughs> <laughs> you just like, I have never actually had a lobster. Is it good? Entirely in his mouth. <laughs> I've never had a lobster before. Is it good? <laughs> People keep on having their clothes explode off after I give it to them, but... <laughs> I thought they were just allergic. I got really sad every time it happened. <laughs> so Ashiki starts to tell uh, Megami the story of Saito's family. 
which uh, was that, okay, yeah, um, Saito's family runs a sushi restaurant. It was small but well-loved, and I hear every day was a busy and prosperous one for them. And you see baby Saito. Well, 10-year-old Saito, let's be real. Uh, he's like, hi, Mom, I did that delivery for you. And they had this nice little uh, family life. Uh, he got enrolled in the Totsuki Institute, and uh, she was so happy for him, so proud of him, encouraging him to follow along and get, get become a sushi chef just like her. And he was super into that. He's like, yes, I want to do that. I want to be a sushi chef just like her. But what awaited his mother at her internship were stodgy customs and harsh traditions. The chefs there cling, clung to the old ways regarding the kitchen as a holy place where women were unfit to tread. <laughs> ah, women, get back out of the kitchen. <laughs> That's yeah. so weird, the horrible sexism keeping women out of the kitchen. Huh. <laughs> I mean... I'm not surprised by it, though. I, I imagine that is not that unlikely of a thing, where you're just like, they're like, no, no I mean, you're great at making sandwiches, but this is real food. <laughs> get out of the kitchen and back in the kitchen. Get, you know I mean. get back in the sandwich kitchen, the one that just has sandwich materials. Get back in the kitchen that I don't care about, that <laughs> I place no stock in, that I think that only you are fit for. <laughs> uh... I, this was a, a surprising thing to put in there. I was like, okay, wow, this manga is gonna like deal with the idea of like sexism in the 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 culinary industry at this top level that his mother was just belittled for her gender uh, to the point where like you know not to skip ahead, but he kind of goes to try to live on in in her footsteps, try to do what she did, you know, as a single mother raising him. He's now going to be a 15-year-old who's going to run their restaurant, take care of her, and, and you know, strive to be the best possible. And you're like, yeah. if you were, if you gender-swapped Saito, this would be, like, the protagonist of the series, almost, I feel like. You're just like, holy shit, this is a really, like, noble kind of story in this mm -hmm. case. Like, it's shocking, because it's a member of the council. I'm just, I, it, it's surprising. Maybe that's because there's going to be an arc beyond this one where Saito will have to be involved as a good guy, Chris. Maybe. He certainly has seemed to be the least evil of the members of Council we've kind of seen, or at least the least douchey. Because the only real knock against him you can throw is, like, he's kind of arrogant and cocky, which you can kind of understand considering, like, he found out his mother entered the, the world of sushi and they were like, get over there to carry buckets, you dirty woman. And then he went in to start cooking. And they're like, oh, it's this 15-year-old doing cooking my food. There's no way that he could possibly make good sushi. Oh, no, he's slashing a sword. <laughs> oh, my stomach. That was a real sword that time. <laughs> um, yeah, it is surprising, though. That it's like... Hey guys, yeah, that, that, that's, that, that series with the weird fan service where the girls' clothes explode off and they get, they get molested by the different ingredients that they're eating. Yeah, it's actually kind of woke. So, uh. <laughs> Again, this is a character I think would be 90 times more satisfying if this was, uh, like, that person's daughter who has tried to live up in her footsteps. 15 year old girl who showed everyone what, what, uh, what the sushi, what sushi was all about and yeah, but... took on all the sexists and, yeah, show them the other ways. But yeah. at that point, I would literally be like, no, this girl was clearly meant to be the protagonist. Like, Central just did a, a face turn, right? Because she's the hero. <laughs> like, I couldn't hate her at that point. Uh, 
Yeah, but yeah, that, this really surprised me. I was not, like, I love that we got something for Saito, but I just was not expecting something like this. I was almost just expecting him to be like, I learned sushi so I could become, I don't know, I could buy a boat and sail the ocean to find my father and yell at ugly people along the way or something <laughs> like that. You're just like, okay, whatever. You're, you're a sushi dude. I get it. <laughs> Fucking water Mako deck. I get it, but... Also, he gets a really cool full-page spread of uh, him doing the follow-through motion of the slash, and all the judges are, like, exploding off of a boat. So, Yeah. And uh, uh, everyone's like, oh, amazing! That was amazing! How are we supposed to beat him? And then so much, we see Cover to so much just going like, this might be a little much. <laughs> I wonder if, like, someone's, just, like, actively... Inter- Talking about his dish, or you're just like, well, shit, how, how am I gonna, like, look good against that? Fuck. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I, I will be honest though, like I said, I actually remembered very little of this uh, before we started going over it. I had to really be reminded of it, so. Despite it being nice, I don't know. I think that it was, I think that it was just kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, as a character who, you know, their, their parent got sick and they had to take over. It's like, okay, whatever. So. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, the thing is that this character may be someone, but, you know, exceptionally insignificant as things go on. You know, this might be like a uh, fucking glasses girl from here on in where you're just like, oh, she might show up from time to time or whatever, but, you know, not really that important of a character anymore. Uh, but it was just like enjoying the chapter reading. And you're just like, this is a very noble kind of uplifting story for what is a member of the villain group. <sighs> I dug it a lot, though. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, move on then to Dr. Stone. Yeah. Time to get stoned! It is time to get stoned. Okay. Last time, uh, Ginro decided that the very best way that you could possibly, uh, use the... <laughs> still love this. Um, Senku had, you know, established previously that he basically had a super sports drink formula with a lot of caffeine in it. And Ginro was just like, what if I just eat the ingredients raw? I'll be good, right? And I was like, well, no, that'll be like, and Senko was like, no, shut up. He's delusional right now. He'll be super strong. <laughs> and we actually see the, the full fight that he has, uh, against his opponents where he just attacks him fiercely. Um, <laughs> I love that we get <laughs> this whole, like, what Ginro sees and what is actually happening. <laughs> it, it was one of the funniest moments. Uh, I'd read the manga in a while. Like, I just had such a long laugh because I just re- was reading it like panel by panel first. So I was like reading them, like, gotta have a cool line. And then just like peeked down below and saw like the reality of that first shot. I was like, holy fuck. He gets, uh, his opponent pays him back for the initial charge by p- pounding him with his weapon a whole lot. And Ginro just shakes it off and is like, <laughs> that's almost tickled. I gotta clinch this with a cool light or two, just like Kinro. What I've got that you don't is a heart that believes in the power of science. And then he's got people in the crowd who are like, Oh, are you for real, Kinro? And Crow's like, Bad! And all the girls are like, Eek! And then it shows reality. He's like, oh, 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 
<laughs> and all the lines that people say are the exact same. It's just that the way that they're saying is completely different. Yeah, I, I just I love that juxtaposition. I'm like, I don't care what you want. I believe yeah. in the power of science. Yeek. Reality. <laughs> Reality. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's one thing that uh, that Boichi, Boichi has done really well with this series is just drawn them beaten up really well. <laughs> I love the way that he draws people so ugly whenever they're beaten up. Oh, God. Um, and Ginro eventually just sends the guy creeping down a cliff to his death? <laughs> I'm sure he's fine. He fell in the water. That means he's not dead, right? That's how water works in yeah, cartoons. Exactly. Uh, so he wins in the first round and then immediately has to go take a really bad shit. Uh, he runs off across the bridge, and uh, when he gets back, um, he's uh, not looking so hot, uh, and uh, his pants are down, so clearly he uh, had a really, really bad shit. Um, so he advances in the tournament ladder, but they establish, okay, you know, if he's not going to be able to battle, then that means Senku's going to advance without fighting someone again, which is pretty close to what we kind of expected was going to happen. Um, so, they, everyone kind of just recaps, okay, so, Magma is really, really bad. If he gets to the final match, it's probably game over, whether he goes against not gonna fight you really well, Senku, or is in no condition to do anything Ginro. So, it, it kind of all comes down to Chrome. Chrome's got to be the one to take down Magma. And that's where we get our big title page. Really awesome uh, uh, picture, too, you know, showing just this really, really playing up the size difference between Magma and Chrome, because you have to see between Magma's legs in order to see Chrome facing off against him. Absolutely. And here's where we get our title of the chapter, which is Z equals 37, Science User Chrome. And uh, Senku kind of puts it into an all-or-nothing perspective, which is, hey, yeah, if you lose, we're screwed. But if you win, then hey, you get to marry Ruri because either me or Gidro will just throw it, and then everyone will get what they want. You'll be the new the new chief, and everything will be cool. Um, and uh, we get this you know one little look exchange between Chrome and Ruri as she looks at him worry, worriedly, and he remember they and remember oh the time that they were together as kids and stuff. It's like aw, it's nice. I hope that they get together, and he doesn't get beaten within an inch of his life probably killed <laughs> he's not gonna die but yeah there there is that that brutal moment though where it's him like doing the charge and you just mm-hmm. see the big sound effect of crack and then Gidmer wakes up and he's like what happened i'm like i'm gonna turn this fucking page and chrome is gonna be a puddle on the ground and it's like not far off from that he's beaten the fuck up and magma does not look like he has broken a sweat just just looking down on chrome with disgust and just starts wailing on him while he's in a prone position just smashing his weapon into his back over and over again and everyone's like oh oh this is this is bad i mean i knew he was going to kick his ass but ooh um and uh then we get a little shot of Asagiri across the bridge. Ooh. He's back. It took me a moment to figure out who it was, because I was like, it's not Senku. And I was trying to remember who had that 
stitched collar thing. And then the I big had, collar, yeah. yeah. It was, uh, was it Gin Asagiri? Gin Asagiri, yeah. Okay, that's it. So, hmm. Um, but everyone can only watch, uh, you know, Ginro after he wakes up, as Nezra's saying, like, Chrome, just give up. Ugh. But of course, Chrome's not going to give up. Uh, Magma says, you never just give up, not when you're fighting for Rory. And Chrome's like, heh, you're smarter than you look, Magma, considering you have muscles for brains. Um, I like how Magma's even just like, Rory will be crying over your loss. It's like, you don't even like this girl. <laughs> He's not even gonna like, try to essentially hide this from anyone. He's just no. like, it's that thing of just like, dude, you have a microphone in your hand. Stop announcing your evil plans to the world. <laughs> Chrome spots Suika's ruined mask with the lens in it and goes and huddles over it. And Suika says, like, oh, he's trying to protect Suika's helmet so the glasses don't break. It's like, hmm, is he really, though? Because he kind of had to crawl over to that. Um, and Chrome starts to think of something, and uh, he ends up putting the mask on his spear and thrusting it up towards Magma. Magma's like, what the fuck? You're just holding it on to him on a stick. He's like, ha, 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 it's just the, the, the bewitched helmet that I smashed. You really thought I would turn tail and run from that thing? But Chrome, you know, thinks like, ah, but it's a clear, beautiful day. And he remembers back to when uh, Senku used the lens to, you know, cast light and burn stuff. But Senku freaks out. He's like, no, no, he's got it wrong. That's not going to work that way. He's trying to set Magma's black clothes on fire using Suika's lens. That's got to be it. But the sort of magnifying glass that sets fo- fires focuses light with a convex lens, whereas the concave lens of eyeglasses spreads light. That is not quite true. Some lenses have convex lenses, and some have concave lenses. Depending on if you're near or farsighted. Yeah, there's Science. also those special lenses that actually have both in the same. Both. Because you oh, yeah. can so you can peer between the two different parts so you can read and also just see normally. Yep. So, uh... You're wrong, Senku. You're not as smart as I thought you were. Turns out you're a big dummy. I mean, also, like, like, it just feels like this is insane of a, like, like, it makes sense in, like, uh, I'm not going to care. In the same way Kenshin can draw his sword so fast, it creates a reverse vacuum that pulls everything into it kind of way. But I was definitely like, it made a lot more sense when I was like, oh, he's going to throw the glass, like, the lens up into the air and blind Bagma with the light and use that opportunity to just hit him in the dick a bunch, probably. As opposed to, I'm going to throw the lens up in the air and use the reflected light from then to focus in on Magma's clothes and set them on fire. It's like, how long is that helmet going to stay in the air for? Uh, Well, he's not throwing it up in the air. He's... Using it, he's holding it on his stick in a single place mm. to focus it. I thought I threw it up in the air. No, That's no, he's bad. still got it at the end of his spear at the end of the chapter. Um, so Senku just says, like, that fire is 10 billion percent never gonna light with those lens, with those lens. Now, having made the lenses, I assume that what Senku means is we use concave lenses in these eyeglasses, so it won't focus light that way. But Chrome is just like, ah ha ha! I'm going to do this, combining Senku's science lens with my undying resolve. I'm Chrome, science user Chrome. And we do see something starting to spark. Some piece of fabric. Maybe it's Chrome's, though, so I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it, it's fine. Like, I'm not annoyed by it enough to be like, what a stupid resolution. 
it's one of those moments where I'm like, as a series about science, this is sort of the things it's like, I'm going to be skeptical of the weird, like, very shonen-y science more than anything else. Because I had a problem when it was thrown in the air. I have even more of a problem that it's not. How the fuck is he getting the light to reflect through the lens at to magma when his, like, he's holding the melon barely at any level of magma's clothes? Like, is, uh. this, is the sun directly behind him? Uh-uh. Uh, but I like, I, I, I love just the overall sentiment of this chapter of Chrome is going to give it his all. He's not a physical threat to this guy. He gets his shit pushed in, but he's a warrior of science, and he is going to use every trick he can to win this fight. And I, I even love that there's a moment when he, he's also protecting Suika's helmet, too. I mean, we find out later so he can use it as a weapon, but just that sentiment, too, of, like, these are her glasses that have changed her life so much, I don't want her to lose these. You know, it's very sweet. Okay. <clears throat> uh, then it's time to... Learn. Well, no. Never learn. Because we never, never yeah, we never learn, Nick. So, yeah, question 41. At times, the vision of an elder leads back to young X. And you will immediately know what this chapter is kind of getting you into when the clear first image your eye is going to be drawn to in this page is uh, Kirisu in nothing but a towel. Yeah. And what we find out is Kirisu has reached the levels of I'm an irresponsible adult to the point of how do you literally function? Are you, like, I get that you can be great at your job and bad at everything else, but this is astonishingly bad at everything else because she gets out of the shower to realize all of my suits are at the dry cleaner and all of my track suits are wet because presumably I threw them all into the wash before going in for the shower and didn't bother putting any in a dryer, I guess. That's just nothing. So they're all air drying. And as such, I have no other clothes to wear for going to school today, except for an old high school schoolgirl uniform I have, which I will begrudgingly have to wear into school. In its entirety. Yes. Including the sweater over the top and the little tie. The necktie. You just wear the skirt and the shirt. <laughs> yeah, why knee-high socks as well? Presumably you didn't have to have knee-high socks. You could have just worn anything there. But yeah, it's like the full ensemble. Uh, and she's driving it. So obviously, like, the first thought is like, all right, it's kind of like a weird fetishy thing. And that definitely is, because she gets pulled over, which makes sense. She's supposed to be a young-looking teacher, so a guy sees a girl in a schoolgirl outfit drive by. He's like, you're a teenager, you shouldn't be driving. And Especially she, in Japan, because the driving laws are different over there. People yeah. don't fucking drive until they're like 18, so. So, she hands over her license, and he's like, wait, no, you're older. Is this something illegal that you're doing? <laughs> and it's like, that's actually a logical conclusion. <laughs> I uh, don't blame him for jumping to that, actually. he's She's driving around in a school uniform. That's weird. <laughs> so... Yeah, she's worried because he's about to, like, look into this further when, of course, Uega shows up. Because he shows up whenever any one of the women in his life have any awkward situation happening. Like, I I, I imagine there's, like, a moment in time where, like, Ogata on one end of the city is like, Oh no, my, uh, fucking bra strap just broke and it's it's gone now. 
and then on the other this end of the gone. It yeah. <laughs> Okayasu came by and used his hand to just to send to send the bra strap to some no yeah. Space. It's it's all gone now. And on the other end of the city, Fuminu's like, oh no. But my skirt exploded and it's gone now. And Uwego would be oh no, there. Clark Queen exploded my skirt. Yeah, he's like, I already touched that skirt. And Uwego would be present for both situations. There's just a moment where he's like looking down at his book, studying, and all of a sudden, <laughs> splits into corner. two. One goes in one direction, the other goes in the other. It's like the tiger talisman from Jackie Chan. Uh, so yeah, one Uwe- of them is a little bit of a douchebag. <laughs> There's a total. Yeah, there's even more of a wuss. <laughs> <laughs> so Uega shows up and actually has a great quick way to get them out of this because he's like, oh, this is the teacher at my school. She's a drama teacher and we're doing a rehearsal and she's playing the role of a student. And that explains to the cop like, oh, OK, that's why you're in a high school uniform and I shouldn't think something is up. Uh, and, you know, then he leaves. So it's just Uega and Karasu. And he says, so and she's like, stop. No, it's not what you're thinking. And he's like. Well, I just assumed you washed all of your clothes and just realized you had nothing else to wear and had to wear a schoolgirl outfit. She's like, you know, I'm kind of annoyed that you called it that right. It's like, am I that transparently irresponsible as an adult? I I didn't have a single... Because we find out that she's going to school. Basically, it's in the middle of summer, so regular classes aren't going on. She's kind of going in for quick work and then leaving. So she's that's why she's not really that concerned about wearing a schoolgirl outfit there. And it's like... She was only going to be there for a couple of minutes, right? Yeah. And it's like, I get your business suits and your track suits were all wet. You literally had nothing else in the world to wear except the high school. There was no sweatpants or, like, a T-shirt at some point that you would, like, had. You just wear a damp, a damp track suit for 20 minutes. Yeah, I was Come like, you, you could wear the school girl outfit and then maybe wear the track suit at, on top. So, like, at least it's not direct skin contact with the wet clothes. And it's summer, so presumably it's going to dry. It's, you know, you're going out into the heat. You know, don't don't turn on your air conditioning sort of thing. I don't know. But it wouldn't make uh, for a kinky, sexy I, chapter I want to imagine way. that opening scene with a little bit of a different tone to it. Hang on. Let me try. It's like, I just got a shower. Oh, no. All of my tracksuits are damp, and I put everything in the dry. All my suits are in the dry clean. I just washed all my clothes. I guess I'll just have to wear this schoolgirl uniform. <laughs> like, there. Why did she keep the schoolgirl uniform? Is my what question. What actually happened was she set up a date with the cop, <laughs> and they were just like playing out the meeting scenario. And then Uyghur came by, and they're like, "Oh, oh shit! Yeah. Uh, uh, we're doing uh, this now." Yes, this is a real police officer, Uyghur. Yes, thank you for bailing me out of the situation with him. It's not like it was a booty call or anything. No, <laughs> He's, no. Uh, yes, I have to go pick something up from school. Uyghur's <laughs> like. Thank you, officer. I've always respected the female body investigator division. <laughs> <laughs> they do great work. Uh, so she drives him to school, and the only real thing that kind of comes out of this is, one, Kirisu is also irresponsible at driving. Th- again, a point that's supposed to, I guess, give me the inclination that she is just a, a like crazy mess at everything in life except for her job. <laughs> Which is frightening. She has a license, and she's clearly an insane driver. Uh, but then they I get also, to school. I also like the the fact that she's, you know, the one shot of her you see actually manipulating the steering wheel is her doing the, you know, hand-over-hand motion. It's like, they're in the middle of the highway. What is she doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Just doing and- a donut in the middle of the street. <laughs> 
She's like, I saw Fast and the Furious a week ago. Uh, and then there's a quick moment when they're at school where he has to pull her away because there are some activities going on. It's something that's a little surprising that they even showcase because it's literally like four panels worth and then they leave the school. Uh, mm-hmm. But then she's also at a gas. Like, I'm, it's like that thing where I'm like, this is this is absurd. You're so bad at living. I don't understand this. <laughs> how have you how have you gotten this far? So they have to walk home together, and because... I don't understand how I ran out of gas. I only did 20 donuts on the way here. <laughs> I only I took the most direct route I've ever taken. I only punched the gas the entire way here. Uh, so I they, only ramped off of four trucks. <laughs> and skated underneath three. So they had to walk home together because she looks like a schoolgirl, and Yuig is in his outfit. They look like a couple. Uh, so they decide to get ice cream. I and, swear she's drawn shorter than she usually is. Yeah, I mean, I get it. She's supposed to be younger, so it makes sense. But it does feel like the artistic liberties were drawn here to be like, no, she could definitely be like a schoolgirl, just like the others. Yeah. Uh, and they they have like a small joke where he's like, oh, I'm going to buy you ice cream. And she's like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I'll pay you back. And he's like, no, right now we're just two high school students, so I'm treating you as a friend. And I like how she's like, a friend? And she just, like, forces money into his hand. He's like, alright, you know what, I'll break the illusion. I'll, just, I'll take the money. Uh, then we get one, I guess, fetishy shot of her licking the ice cream. There's just one panel of her tongue out. where it's she looks. Not the mo- it's not the most fetishy way that you could draw someone to enjoying an ice cream cone. Let's at least, let's at least give them that credit. <laughs> no, not, not at all. But it's weird because it's like, I'm not sure what that panel was meant to represent. I guess that was supposed to be her still having the angry look towards him, but... I don't know. It's one shot of that. And then, of course... Also, let's be real here. The follow-up shot of Fumino's skirt is way more fetishy because then you get a better look at her skirt. It's not as short as it looks in that first panel. Yeah. Uh, so then Fumino and Ogata, of course, are also there because anytime one woman in fucking this series is in an awkward situation, Yuiga will show up first, and then every other fucking girl will show up, basically. So they have to dive behind this bench into the bushes to avoid being seen, and then, of course, fucking the two girls sit in front of them on that same bench, and we get a shot of Kirisu after she accidentally steps on a twig and makes a noise. I guess they dive towards the floor to avoid being seen, and we get a shot of Kirisu from behind, butt up in the air, skirt flying up, and her skirt has a wedgie, something I did not think was actually physically possible, but her skirt is con- like con- formed around her butt cheeks while si- right. while simultaneously <laughs> lifting up to give you a butt cheek shot this is, is that possible this is a sto- i this i feel like is the most unrealistic thing in manga history this thing is absurd uh there's also a shot of ice cream hanging her neck and she's like has like a weird screech and because this, Fumino turns around, and Yuega's only possible idea on how to get out of the situation is to make it look like he and Kirisu are just two random people making out. And it works. Fumino sees it, and is embarrassed, and they promptly leave. They weren't actually making out, of course, it was just sort of a disguise, but it still gets uh, Yuega a little bit... A little bit I like Ogata's uh, reaction, which is like, wait, was it actually a ghost of me? I was like, no, it was worse! Worse than a ghost?! <laughs> <laughs> uh and they, they they head home basically after that you know he's like oh wow kirisu's just not phased at all she's such an adult uh 
they head home and, and, you know, Kirsu does thank him for, for everything and says like, yeah, it was nice to kind of live as a high school girl for a day. You know, she, she didn't have that growing up since she was focused entirely on her ice skating career. It makes sense. Uh, but this entire weird chapter is ultimately all worth it for the last page. It really is. Where they're about this is to- the re- this I like Asumi MVP 2017. Seriously, <laughs> yeah, she's about to head inside, passes by Asumi, and there's a, one shot of Asumi seeing the situation, and the immediately following panel where she has the biggest <laughs> shit eating grin on the planet because she this she's like. Oh, this is. She's fun. immediately got like three zingers ready. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. She's like, "Oh, is it my birthday already?" <laughs> and yeah, she just goes in. She's like, "Uniform cosplay." I didn't think you had that in there. I didn't think you're that kind of girl. I'm just like, you're so like, even I'm, wanna... even I don't have that kind of. Nerve. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, "I just want to die." <laughs> well, I, like, look, this is a weird chapter. This is a very like fetishy chapter, and those are the ones that are not the most fun. It still has an emotional thing, but I, it, I'll be honest, I'm much more with the idea of Asumi being like, oh, thanks to you and the time we spent together, I got to feel like I had a summer vacation is a little bit more digestible to me than like an adult with a high school student being like, thanks for the illusion we got to pretend. I got to think we were a high school couple as well. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's just still kind of weird. Like I'm, you know, I'm all happy for you gained this chance to experience think innocence. That's quite the point of this chapter. I mean, she's just thanking him because he's always helping her out, and then I think that she has this sudden thought of like, oh, we must have looked like a couple, which I guess is like a thought that she just hasn't entertained in a very long time. Well, no, she she when they go to get the ice cream, she mentions, well, my whole life revolved around figure skating, so I don't think I'd ever hung out after school to have fun with friends. So that's why they stopped to kind of get ice cream. Uh, I guess everything. you're right. Yeah. So there is an element of that being played here, and I, I'm not against it completely because I don't. It's I think Kirisu is maybe the one character with the least amount of possibility of like actually falling for Uega. But I mean, it could still happen. But uh, it is. Oh, come still- on, Chris. Do you think the principal's got a fair shot? Well. He does keep on turning to him for help. Yeah. Uh. But it is just one of those things where you're like, it's a little weird. And when coupled with the very fetishy kind of moments in this chapter, it's like, ah, it's not great. But it is, I think, ultimately a great chapter just because of that Ashumi page at the end is just. This entire, <laughs> this entire pointless journey was worth it now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <all right. laughs> I like Josh V's comment from the chat. Four out of ten, not enough proof for free pizza. <laughs> not yet. She hasn't shown up in a little while. Yeah, she'll have her time. We haven't gotten too many Ogata focused chapters immediately. That's either. true. I'm sure. I'm sure that we're, we're due for one soon. Also, an Aruka one. Yeah, I was gonna say we haven't had a Takamoto one in a real oh, bit either. All right. Uh, from there, then we are going to move on to the Promised Neverland. All right. It is uh, Chapter 65, The Secret Garden. You ever see that movie, Chris? Secret Garden? No. I hear The Secret Garden, and my immediate thought turns to the old Catholic or uh, Christian hymn friends are like flowers in the Garden of Life. Oh, okay. It dominated my life, Nick. I cannot escape fucking... It's about some, it's about some orphan who has to live in this mansion. There's like some sort of kid who lives there who is like crippled but not and stuff anyway there's a garden and just and it's secret and locked up and nobody can go in it but then they do i hated indian in the cupboard 
<laughs> somewhat tangential, but I was like, it just reminded me of like old movies I saw as a kid, and I just remember being like, I fucking hated that movie. I don't know why, but that movie's fucking blue. You know why everyone went to see that movie, Chris? Because there's that moment where he opens up the cupboard and there's Darth Vader fighting a Velociraptor. That's the only reason anyone went to see that movie. That, that does sound actually worth it, but. Anyway, last time Emma was abducted by poachers and she woke up in the Netherlands, apparently, with all the windmills and stuff. And it's like, what the fuck happened? Why am I here? She's very confused, obviously, has no idea how the hell she got there. Um, and so she was looking around, of course, for Ray and for the, for the nameless geezer. Sees that she's in this quiet, happy looking village with balloons and a big welcome sign and an archway that leads into it. Super colorful, but nobody's there. It's like completely abandoned, seemingly. And she's like, why? What's going on here? Uh, she also spots a mansion in the distance. Uh, as well as a field separating the happy little village from it. And she's, but she thinks like, okay, I'm still in the demon world, right? And also it's warm here. I mean, it's like winter, but it's warm like spring. And, and also I'm not hurt. What is going on here? Uh, and also she has no idea how much time has passed for that matter. Has it only been a day? Has a lot of time passed since the time that she passed out and then she woke up or what? But, uh, she, Hears something behind her, sees that there's been this other kid who's been observing her and chases after him, trying to get some answers to what's going on. Uh, from there, we cut away to a flashback of when, of the moment she was being abducted. Ray, of course, tried to go after her, and Elgizer threw him t- to the ground and said, No, they're gonna take you too if you try and help, so we've gotta run, let's go, and just picks him up and runs away. Occasionally, you just kind of need that reminder of, oh, right, these are small children. And so, Yogi's just literally just like, okay, let's go. <laughs> it is also nice that we, uh, cause we, I think we kind of mentioned last week, like, maybe we won't see, like, we'll just follow Emma, we won't see Ray and the geezer until much later, and then I'll explain. It's like, no, nah, it looks like we actually are going to keep current with them both. Um, and Ray's like, all right, you've got to explain things to me. What's going on here? What happened? Why is it trying to take Emma? I wanted, I wanted to take May. I'm clearly the best abductee. I have such tieable little wrists. <laughs> I'd be the best of being abducted. I'd be the best little hostage. I'd be so cute. Everyone would put my face on milk cartons. And do you, like, want to know? Sorry, Malk, though. I don't want to be on regular milk cartons. Those are the devil. <laughs> do you, like, want to save your friend or not? I know it's explaining, okay? He's like, excuse me? Wasn't done talking yet. It's not your time. I am holding the pencil. That means that it is my turn to speak. <laughs> I'm a child. That means I'm the future. You're an old dude. No one cares about you. You could die. <laughs> um. So, the geezer explains that she was taken by the poachers, um, a group of them, and he and he admits that I drew them here as a way to get rid of you guys. Usually. Wild demons don't get fired at, so they don't usually have so many regenerated parts. And Ray realizes that in that stunt before, where the geezer shot up a whole bunch, she says, yeah, I deliberately shot up that demon a whole bunch, and you pumped a whole bunch of bullets into them as well. So if you kill them, the evidence will be eaten by their peers. But if a smart demon sees a group of wild ones that have regenerated so much, they'll know something is up. Me and my friends were discovered by them that way and got caught. And that was about half a year after we escaped the farm. 
This time it's only been about ten days since you escaped. You're from one of the highest grade farms, Gracefield. And I knew they would be on the lookout, and as predicted, they noticed in the last three days and came after you. So there you go. Ray, of course, is immediately like, I'm gonna go save them, ah! Uh, but the geezer says, no, don't mess with them, you're just gonna get yourself caught too and die. Um, Ray is really pissed off as a result of this because it's partially his fault that Emma's been taken away, and the guy actually apologizes. He says, I don't intend on hurting your kids now. If we could get her back, I would have gone after them, but I can't. They are too dangerous. The least I can do is take you back to the shelter. I won't harm your family anymore, but give up. We have to go. She won't make it out. And he's like, no, can I save Emma? And then he actually has a big, you know, sincere moment because I promise to protect them. I won't lose another close friend. Yeah. That's can't do the Ray voice for that one. That's a little bit too, no, heartfelt and sincere. If I can't do that, I'll never be able to face Norman after I die. And I need to be able to face... I need need to be able to face him to tell him his hat sucks. He's not good at hats. I'm I'm the master of hats. You're not wearing a hat. That's how much of a master I am! It's a true master to know when none is the perfect amount. We come back over to Emma. And uh, she realizes that she's got writing on her hand, which says, use your pen. And so she pulls out her... I thought it said, not Penny's boat. And she pressed it up against the window as it was filling up with water. Uh, But she managed to help kind of alert everyone to the fact that it wasn't Penny's boat and they should watch out because the people from the freighter are not who they said they were. This is a long lost reference, but it also dealt with someone writing something on their hand. And it's, it's a very, look, if you love lost, that's a great reference. I see you and you and you and you. That's the only other writing on your hand reference I can think of. Um, she pulls out her pen, and uh, it displays that she is in A0863 at Goldie Pond. Um, and as Emma is making more discoveries, uh, you know, we're getting more explanation from the geezer at the same time. And one of the things she comes across is this little board that says rules number one music number two monsters number three survive at that moment music starts playing over loudspeakers all through the village so loud that it actually like covers her ears as it as the kid approaches her again and says the monsters are coming and the geezer you know explains that when the music starts they arrive they have children loose in there to be hunted by rich man-eaters Goldie Pond is a garden to hunt humans to satisfy the innate instinct of the man-eaters. It's their secret hunting ground. This chapter got me really excited uh, to see, you know, a different you know form of the gardens, you know, getting to know more about what the demons get up to. And also it's just a cool concept, I think, in general. We've set up this very human-seeming village, but of course it's all wrong. Um, and everyone's hiding because the monsters are going to hunt them in their own environments. And, you know, it's almost like, you know, if you, you go out into, into the forest in order to hunt woodland critters, well, you go to a village in order to hunt humans, right? Yeah. It's essentially a uh, big game hunting, but for demons, where like a bunch of rich demons pay to hunt, you know, wild beasts, in this case, humans. It's Interesting. I'm wondering though, because I guess this would technically break the human demon like tree because it's not a farm. But I guess that's why they say it's their secret hunting ground. Who knows? But there are a lot of mysteries kind of posed in this chapter. You know, who wrote on Emma's hand? 
what's you know the whole situation here like i wonder if she still has her gun um it's just a very interesting sort of situation that pops up here but it's it's a good kind where it's a sort of cerebral situation i also love the expression we end on from emma or that dead-eyed look on her face when she realizes just how bad a situation that she's in right now I hope it's all dude bro demons like that show up like they have like popped fucking skin flaps or something like that. I don't think they wear shirts, but they they're not actually popped they're, up. they're not actually the rich demons. It's it's just their dads paying them to be there. Yeah, exactly. Dad said I could I could buy uh, I could bag at least two eleven uh, year olds today. You know, it is my twenty first. God. All right, so super excited for that. So let's uh, move on. Yeah, uh, so we do have a chapter of Seven Deadly Sins this week. Okay. <clears throat> uh, chapter 20, uh, 244, The Chosen Queen. I'm not 100% certain what happens in this chapter. I've read it, and it's a little confusing. Uh, basically, it deals with Hendrickson, Dreyfus, and uh, Margaret, I think is the one sister's name. This is uh, one of Elizabeth's sisters. Right. Um. And they're off on their own, uh, as Mar- uh, Margaret is trying to get, um, Vil back from some, Gil be back from Vivian. I don't remember who those are. I, I'm sure they are significant people. Isn't Gil, Gil Thunder? I guess, yeah, but that would make sense. Gil is Gil Thunder. Um, but I don't remember who Vivian is. Like, I'm sorry. It's just one of those things where we've been disconnected from these characters for a while, so I've forgotten a lot of the details around them. Uh, and the chapter is predominantly kind of just them discussing things and the two knights kind of acting a little bit like how the Seven Deadly Sins have been acting in regards to, like, Melodious and Elizabeth. They're trying to sort of watch out for Margaret, who's, who's going very far and trying to protect her, but she is very stubborn on her goal no matter how dangerous things are so you know like hey well we'll make sure to protect her no matter what then she's disappeared for a moment and there's a weird moment where uh Dreyfus is like god i'd say you're so uh, i'm so impressed with how you are at reading women and he's like don't make fun of me it comes with age beat if she's been gone for a while do you think she's peeing <laughs> it's just like <laughs> i think you've lost that that claim to knowing what women are like when he's just like, she's been gone for a while. Must have stopped to relieve herself like women do. <laughs> In truth, she has not done that. She Well, maybe she did. We just didn't see it. Maybe she know. did. And then she yeah. went on to do more important stuff. Yeah. She, she very well Everyone's got to pee, Chris. Everyone pees. Not the less popular uh, equivalent of everybody poops. <laughs> Except for starfish. They consume their own poop. That's not true, but for a moment, some people probably believe that fact. <laughs> Instead, uh, and that also may not be true. It may actually be true. I don't know. I'm not a marine biologist. I don't know anything about this. You <laughs> oh, really shouldn't trust me just because I'm on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Only Joe Toro is the true marine biologist here. That's true. He got a doctorate in that series. He fucking loves dolphins. Dr. Joe Toro. <laughs> uh, so we find out that Margaret actually headed over to a druid altar, which uh, basically looks like a mountain with a face on it. And there she has kind of this interaction with this druid magic that takes hold of her. Uh, you know, Henderson tries to stop it from happening, but it unlocks something within her, a secret technique that we taught the druids years ago. And uh, Margaret is filled with magic and sprouts wings and declares that she is a goddess, one of the four archangels, Ludashell, 
and she says, become a member of my stigma. Let us defeat the demons together. I don't know if I trust this one. I always said that the angels aren't necessarily the best people, so. Yeah, I wonder if maybe this is their way of starting to set up a potential plot for after the demon stuff. Seven holy virtues, Chris! I'm more thinking of the fact that they four archangels sort of thing, and I think there's still another one. No, seven holy virtues. Alright, yeah, let's go with that one too. Uh, there's also a um, fucking, I think, one more of Elizabeth's, uh, Elizabeth's sisters out there, too, to, like, deal with. So, um, it's an interesting twist. I, I just, this is a group of characters who have been removed from the plot for a really long time now that it's tough to remember all the details that are around them. And most of that's on me. I'm just not great at remembering a lot of the small details of the series week to week. Okay. Uh, that done, let's move on to Black Clover. Page 138, Storming the Eye of the Midnight Sun's Hideout. As previously established, the Eye of the Midnight Sun's Hideout is on a floating fucking castle that's really obvious. No, 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 Nick. No, it's not. No, no, no it's because, not really. Because there's mist, and that mist obscures the fact that there is a floating mountain with buildings built into it. You can see castles built dotting the sides of it, because there's that many. It is enormous. But mist makes sure that no one knows its location. <laughs> okay. Apparently they just, the uh, Quiver came just stumbled across it by complete blind luck. According to Nozelle, we just happened to be investigating a dungeon when we learned it was their hideout. So they, weren't, they, weren't, they weren't even looking for this. They just have to go across it. Well, they found it as a dungeon and just happened to then discover it was the base of the Midnight Sun, mm-hmm. I think. Which makes a little more sense to me. If it was completely like, we just happened to be searching the area for something and stumbled across the floating mountain over there, then I'd be like, this is bullshit. So, they call one of the bonus mages over and he's just like, stone creation <laughs> magic, stone model of the world. Bonus mage is the perfect term for these characters. <laughs> He's like, look, I can make a hollow map of everything, and we can see magic sources inside of it. Like, this, well, that's a useful ability. Okay. This, this is my contribution to this mission. I will do nothing else from here on in, unless we need to bring up this map again. So Mario Leona says, it's like an anthill where you can get in from anywhere. It should be easy to invade. I see a few people whose mana is at the level of a high-ranking magic knight. There's someone with high mana in that big space in the center, and that must be the leader. We'll split into five teams and charge in. Spatial magic mage, you wait here. Not like we would want to teleport anyone inside of the frickin'... So... Then she uses her lion paw thing. Why bother teleporting in, Nick, when apparently all you need to do is just kick at this thing? Hard to break in. She uses her lion paw things on Zora and Asa and is like, you guys are going to be with me, you freaking troublemakers. And so Zora tries to fuck with her, and she's like, no, nothing affects me. Gotta make Roman Reigns look strong, Nick. Gotta, fuck. I did actually, I was a little annoyed, I was like, don't do this again. Because I think you really fuck with Zora's character if he just keeps getting hit with the butt of his own jokes. Like, the way this character succeeds is he's a little bit of a mischievous trickster, but if too many characters are like, I'm too badass to be 
hit with a stink bug or whatever, then it's like he loses what actually makes him interesting. It's not even that she, it's not even that she, like, you know, isn't affected by his antics. It's that she intercepts the stink bug that he flicks at her and then shoves it into his face. But then she says, a smell of this caliber does nothing to me. Well, then why did you bother blocking and shoving it in his face then? Because they get back at him. Like, that's the thing. It's like, no, the joke's on you. That's what I mean. Like, I'm like, don't do that again, please. <laughs> like, I, that's where I'm like, I'm going to be annoyed if this dude's flicking stink bugs and, and like, 90% of them start ending up in his face instead. Zora, um, is like, uh, you're sure you're okay with having two peasants right there with you, Royal? Just kind of, like, offhandedly mentions that he's, oh, yeah, I'm a peasant. And that's like, you're a peasant? And Mary is like, I don't give a fuck if you're peasants, whatever. It's all about whether you're strong or weak. You two are here because you're strong, right? Don't disappoint me. So, you're like, yeah, all right, let's go. Uh, we cut inside to... I just want to note, I, I, I really feel as though part of the reason I like Zora so much is he has the same expression I do, where I was kind of just like, okay, as I read through this chapter. Like, that expression he has right there, yeah, it's just like, all right. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> no excitement to this. We cut to inside of the hideout where a creepy mage guy is uh, molesting a big tit prisoner. Um, being all creepy. And then, yay! Luck comes in and kicks him in the fucking face. Yay! It was, it was a little out of nowhere. I was like... You go from, like, a page of getting a stink bug in someone's face to, like, this woman's tied up, gagged, and it clearly looks like her shirt's been ripped open. Is This mm-hmm. looks, like, really awful. Yeah. And then Bad. it's like, boom, Luck kicked him in the face Instant and he's gone. Up. Yay, good for you, Luck. And I'm like, okay? <laughs> so, we get an establishment of what the Clover Kingdom's special task force for combating the Eye of the Midnight Sun is. Led by two different division captains, not divisions, sorry, whatever they're called. Mary Eliana says, plans aren't necessary for you people. Knock them down as you come to them and make for the heart of this place. Each of you fight any way you like. As long as you don't lose, I don't care what you do. Now, is I'm actually, hold on, All right. hold on. I'm actually okay with this because you know what? This is everything we know about the Clover Kingdom in a nutshell, isn't it? They're fucking idiots. With with a division like this, with a fucking meathead like Mario Leona, an arrogant douchebag like Nozelle, and the king, who is an idiot as well, all in charge of it, of course they're going to operate this way. Why the fuck else wouldn't they? What I want to happen from this is for them to get fucking embarrassed and kicked out on their asses because they didn't have a fucking plan because they're all charging in like morons, and then they have to learn how to do stuff better. That probably won't happen, but it's what I want to happen. Yeah, Nick, and our truth's going to beat John Cena for the title at Capital Punishment. <laughs> I, I, I have a question, though. Is that Kirsch? And if it's not Kirsch, why the fuck is it Kirsch on the team? Because there's clearly just a dude whose spells are all about shooting out flower petals. 
in the the panel with Luck and and Noel, the dude in the very back clearly has some kind of pedal generating magic that he's using. That and I I don't think it's Kirsch, but then why the fuck is it not Kirsch? Because that is clearly otherwise a bonus mage. And if it is Kirsch, why the fuck didn't we emphasize that it's Kirsch? Why are we just now revealing that it's him? Why do we have like Annalise says it's Kirsch? Alright. By the way, at this point, you just cannot acknowledge how many members are on this fucking Royal Knight Squad, because this group just grows in size each week as more members are like, yeah, we've always been part of it. It's like, alright. Like, there's something like 20 members of this squad. So. I I might be wrong on this. Was Kirsch featured in any other shot about this Royal, Neg- Royal Knight magic group before this? He certainly didn't. He certainly didn't have any lines. Alright. Uh, it's, it seems like a weird decision. Also, are there two dudes who just look exactly the same? One's in Noel's group and one's in the other side? Just a dude with a pointed chin and no, swept back hair? No, one has mutton chops and the other doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I've questioned a lot about these groups, but I'm just, I'm very confused by a lot of things in this. Are those dudes special? Is this like Royd and Lloyd from fucking <laughs> the, uh, the Quincy's? <laughs> so, Marielia bursts in one way. Nozel bursts in the other, and both of them are really pissed off that Fuego Leon got taken up by the AI of the Midnight Sun, and they say that that's why they're actually there. Nozel is there because his rival got taken out. Marileo Leona got, is because her brother got taken out, and they say, like, you're gonna pay for what you did to him. Okay. Sure. Um. And they both say that they're going to go take out the leader. And that guy who was having the dream in the last chapter is like, I won't act like it's a pain this time. Let's go. Whatever the fuck that means. Uh, well, cause he's been, he, like, his thing is that he's like a lazy git. And he, like, doesn't want to be bothered. He's infamous planet, basically. <laughs> I uh, like, the, I like the fact that, hey, yeah, Nozel wants to fucking get revenge because, you know, Foyleon was an important rival to him. I kind of would have liked to see him a little bit more before we actually got this. He's a leader. He's one of the other leaders of this squad. I completely go, forgot. Go. I completely forgot that. Would have been a little nice a... to have a little bit of, like, you know. It would have been nice to just have, like, a chance to just kind of understand the group dynamic before they were thrust into this situation. Because we're just being, we're getting sent from one tournament into uh, another big battle scenario. And I'm still not 100% clear on who all the people in the Royal Knights are and how they're going to work with each other. Cause it's such a big group and they've had no real chance to get to, you know, understand how to work together yet. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm shane on, like, the fact that apparently it is Kirsch, and Kirsch is just here, but it's like, it's not, you know, something where I needed to have him with a whole dialogue. It's just, it's weird that, like, we keep seeing, like, we had an establishing group shot last chapter, but then it's like, oh, and this dude's also in here. Maybe we just didn't put him in last time. And he was really important in the last arc, but he hasn't really done anything this time, but he'll make it into this show. It's just, it's tough to tell, because I'm like, there's a shit ton of characters on the good guy's side now that have relevance. Because basically every significant character from the, like, Magic Knight exam is in here, with the exception of, I guess, like, Finral. You know, like, everyone else is made it onto this team otherwise. And it's like, that's a lot of characters when you get down to it, especially when you consider the ones who 
I didn't think were really that significant. It's like Ed and the snow hat girl and that fat guy with the braids or whatever. Well, there were like 16 teams of three people each, so that's 48 different members. So look, with the size of the Royal Knights ended up with, you're talking about about half of them, so. Yeah. And it's, uh, look, I'm not saying that, like, it's a big problem, but it's just, it's, it was just, it, it's weird to, like, it's tough to tell who's in it at times, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't have a huge problem with it. I this chapter is okay. I mean, like, I, I know a lot of people love Mary Leona, and that's great. She just doesn't do anything for Good me for so you much. Guys. <laughs> uh, so, so when, like, she has, like, a big cool moment or something like that, I'm just like, oh, okay. Like, I don't, I don't care one way or the other on it. She's fine. Um, and I honestly, like, it's just because I don't pay enough attention to the series at times. I forgot Nozelle even had a thing with Viego Fuego Leon. I was like, oh, yeah. He has been around for forever. Well, it happened a long time ago, and I just, I forget details a little bit as time goes on or whatever. But it works. Last it's, time we saw him would have been during the uh, points announcement ceremony thing. Nozelle? I mean, yeah. I think he was around when Noelle fought against her brother in the, the tournament. I don't think he did anything of consequence, but he was around. Hmm. It's just the uh, Fuego Leon thing was a long time ago for me. M-A-A-D-D. All right. I guess what I'm saying, Nick, is the good guys are fucking ridiculously super strong, and there's one dude thus far in the Midnight Sun who I'm like, maybe is a threat, so I don't know. They need to, uh, like, put in... It's because he's not wearing his headband. <laughs> That's to... why I don't recognize him. <laughs> They need to, they need to like introduce a real six funeral wreaths or something at this point. So I'm like, oh, okay. So this is what we brought half of the Clover Kingdom Magic Knight Army in for. <laughs> okay. Black Clover, out of the way. Let's talk about One Piece. One Piece is celebrating its 20th year anniversary with lots of, look at all these pictures of Luffy the people drew. Um, 20 years is a long time for a series to be running. So, props. It's only about three times as long as I've actually been reading One Piece. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's uh, da, 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 chapter 886, Way of Life, which begins with this big color two-page spread of the Straw Hats and Armadillos falling down a rainbow waterfall. I want to get some weird suggestions for cover art, doesn't he? I thought that was the chapter title the first time I read this. I was like, oh, a weird chapter title. Like, we're watching some Sanji do flips into a what? Oh, hold on. <laughs> this is the recommendation or <laughs> suggestion. I like how he turned it from Sanji is doing flips to, no, all of them are falling. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was like, is Sanji even in there? But yeah, he's right at the top right, yeah. And he is doing flips. So, uh, Pudding and Chiffon and Sanji have basically finished their wedding cake. They just haven't put the icing on it, and they're carting it out with the seal. Yeah, they There's use seal there. They use seals seal. for uh, dogs, I think, uh, or horses. There's seal with a hat. Is he doing Kiss by a Rose? I mean, he might as well be. Damn. All right, I love that song. I'm in now. Why don't you tell me it's not healthy, babe? Also, there's a frog with a crown? Nick, this entire country where the fucking sun is like a wacky personality. I think we have to get used Why to this. Why does he have a crown? I don't know, Nick. Why does a panda man wrestle? 
Okay. So, um, Shifun's, you know, pulling out like, okay, yeah, we got it. Pound is there, and he's like, oh, Shifun, I can see my daughter. Um, but Oven intercepts them, and he's like, and he says like, hey, we've got to stop this. Um, and they're like, no, no, we're gonna, we're gonna do this. We're gonna make sure that, you know, Mama's hunger pangs stop, and we've gotta finish this. We're gonna put this cake on the ship and stop Mama at sea, and that way, we, you know, she won't cause any damage here, so we've gotta do this. And Pudding is speaking up for Shifun, and Oven's like, Arcee, you make a good point. You may pass, little sister. And she was like, oh, good, thank you. Not you. <laughs> <laughs> I love how fucking straightforward it's like, no, not you. This <laughs> throws her on the goddamn ground. Yeah, he fucking drops her. Oh, God, it's so horribly brutal. Um, Shifun does get her, get her own little badass moment standing up to giant, stupid hair muscle man of her brother. Uh, despite the fact that he is going to just brutally take her down and throw her in prison and have her punished for this, uh, and uh, Sanji can't really do anything to help her out because he's like, well, if I try and help her out, my cover's going to be blown, so what am I going to do? But they does it anyway. <laughs> well, shh. <laughs> but Shivan stands up and she says, I'm going to see this cake to completion. And she's thinking to herself as she says this, they saved Lola's life. Honor demands that I repay the favor. Um, but Oven says, like, look, this isn't some spat between siblings we're talking about here. This isn't some rebellious teen phase or anything like that. You're a traitor. You tried to kill our queen. It's a very strong point. She was, she's married to the guy who plotted her assassination. So. No, it, it, yeah, it made perfect sense. I'm like, hey, yeah, he's kind of got a point. Yeah. He's, he's very much in the right from where he is standing. Fortunately, Pound is a big old idiot and he runs in to try and stop Oven and he's thinking to himself, I'll come save you, daughter. And she looks at him and is like, who's that? <laughs> I feel so, I feel kind of bad for him. It's like even his own daughter doesn't know who the fuck he is. Who are you? I like how in that one moment, it was like, you know, being held up by her neck in the air while this weird man comes running up to save her. I will save you! She's like, who are you? <laughs> Uh, and Sanji is also like, I don't know who the hell that guy is. <laughs> is this just like going to be his thing? Nobody's going to know who Pound is at all. <laughs> I get. I mean, it makes sense because I guess Sanji never met him before. But he's been and he's been kind of written out of the history books, so to speak, by a Big Mom. And I also like that Pound is like closing his eyes while he's trying to punch uh, Oven. So even he doesn't see when Sanji essentially uses Shunpo to just vorp in and kick Oven in the face. Uh, and in that brief instant, it kind of looks as though, uh, Pound punched him out instead. Uh, and he also just snags Shifun as she falls to the ground, darts away immediately. Um, and he's just thinking to himself, like, I've just got to jump in and save her so fast that nobody notices me, which he does. Why didn't you do that in the first place? Uh uh-uh. Sanji has super speed now. I like I'm, how Pudding uh, Pudding did see him though. Oh uh, yeah, I was like, look, if I were in her position, I'd swoon over him too because that is pretty That's hot. Pretty cool. <laughs> He's just like, I fucking teleported in, saved her, teleported out, and no one was any the wiser. Except for also, Robin was eventually like, get get, get back here. <laughs> 
also, all thing, everything else considered, like, she's had a bunch of reactions that were highly over-exaggerated, so her having a little nosebleed and hard eyes in response to that is like, oh, okay, she's getting a little bit used to him. That <laughs> <laughs> honeymoon phase is going to be over eventually, Sanji. You better get, you better, uh, get along with her while you still can. Um, oven, I like how Pound is like, oh, I must be stronger than I thought. And I was like, that wasn't you. <laughs> it just knocks him the fuck out. Like, Immediately dispatches him. Um, they all rush off to the port. And I love how Pudding's just like, you must stay hidden, sister. And she finds things like, oh, wow, Black Lake saved me. But who was that random enormous man? Elvin immediately runs up and is like, there you are. <laughs> just immediately knows where she's hiding. Hey, hey, they're right there. <laughs> Come on. I don't know why this got me so badly. <laughs> this gets punched out and knocked to the side. It was like, we have to keep sheep on hidden. Here, hide underneath the sheep. There you are. <laughs> like two panels later. <laughs> oh, God. Um, at that moment, uh, Oven gets a call on Adendan Mushi. Gets a report that Beja ship is on its way to Cacao Island. Um, and so he's like, ah, this is a great opportunity. And he shouts over to Beige from the Denon Mushi loudspeaker saying, it's me, Oven. I've just uh, apprehended your accomplice, Shifan, on Cacao Island. And I am very particular about the litter of the law. I will not hesitate to punish my own sister. So hand to port, disembark and surrender. Any strange movements, she's done for. Um, so. And even though his wife's in danger, Beige is still like doing baby talk with his son. It's like, oh, dad, yeah, baby boy, you, you, your wife's in mortal danger. So yeah, it's, I was like, that was like a very humanizing moment. All of a sudden, I was like, oh my god, I, like they have a child. Like these, yeah. that's a that is a mother who is about to be killed. I, was, I didn't realize. Like I guess I just didn't really didn't know click well on it until like I see. Fucking Bay's baby talking the his fucking infant son. I also like how nonchalant he is about the whole thing. Honestly, it's a really big badass moment for Beige because he gets this call. He's like, "I will, I will, just, I will kill your wife unless you surrender and give yourself up right now. I am going to kill her, and I won't hesitate." He's not even listening to him really because they, "Oh, we're gonna go save Mama now," <laughs> and uh, they. Do hand to port while Shifun, of course, is shouting over to him. It's like, no, 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 come on. You, you've just got to get away from here. Take, take Pez, take everyone and leave. I'll pay for, for my crimes. And, you know, mama decided that she hated me. And, but so since then, you guys have been my only true family. So one day just come and back and get vengeance for me. Um, uh, and there is a crack sound over the Denden Mushi and then a scream of pain. Oh my. So Beige shouts over to Oven that he's nearly at the harbor and he says, I'll get off the ship like you want, just don't hurt her. Beige's ship comes in. They're like, ah, ha, 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 Yes, we'll split the feet, let them in, and cut off all escape paths. Yes, all right, I see her. All right, and there's Master Oven's cart. And I was like, oh, it's going to just did an explosion in his face. I thought his head had blown off for a second because it's a pretty brutal-looking shot, honestly. Yeah, I thought it was a cannonball that went off, and I was like, that was just a gun? Jesus. It's a big fucking gun. Get to make that big an explosion on a guy that size. And, yeah, they're like, holy shit, Master Roman's been shot. And you see that the 
the other side of it with, you know, beige, his freaking infant son in one hand with the gun on the other. He's like, watch close, we peasant will remember, this is your daddy's way of life. Shit. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, so it seems as though beige is going to have to be fighting his way out of this one. Um, uh, but we cut away from that over to the Thousand Sunny again. Uh, everyone is kind of making preparations. And there's a really random, bizarre moment that I'm sure must be alluding or foreshadowing something. Because yeah. Carrot says to Chopper, Hey, do you think tonight will be a full moon? I guess maybe they have, like, werewolf-esque powers, like they're strongest under a full moon. We haven't been around the... Uh, her kind uh, very much up until this point, so I suppose it's possible. It would be interesting to see if we don't get a full moon by the end of this little arc, then perhaps this is something that suggests Carrot will be along a little bit longer, because obviously it's a, payoff, a setup for a payoff. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Then we cut over to uh, Luffy. Katakuri is still trying to freaking figure out where the hell he is, of course. Um, and, uh, Brulee is now tied up in a little sack that Luffy's got on his back. And she says, what are you doing? Why didn't you just, like, go to Cacao Island if you wanted to escape? Uh, and Luffy says, well, see, hockey runs out as you use it. If the fight goes on long enough, his observation hockey is going to get weaker. And Brulee's like, ah. You might look dumb, but you're actually pretty sharp when it comes to battle. But Luffy then says, but that's not good enough. He remembers a little conversation he had with Raleigh a long time ago, and again, hey, you know, the real advancement in hockey happens during extreme use in battle. The stronger the foes you face with this power, the stronger you'll become with it. And Luffy says, I wonder if I could also see a bit of the future. I want to surpass him. I want to beat the billionaire man at his best. So once again, Luffy's pride kind of getting in the way of what would probably be the smartest thing to do in this situation. But uh so, yeah, good his... reason, though. i got to get stronger if I'm going to survive in this world, so I'm going to use this as an opportunity to do it. Yeah, he's, he's having his Goku moment where he's like, no, I want to fight this guy at his full power because I want to be better than him. And I like it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a shonen series. It's a shonen attitude. I'm all for it. Let's, have a, let's get a sweet conclusion to this fucking Luffy-Katakuri fight. So that's it for this week. Uh, we are going to wrap up the recap now, and uh, I guess we'll name our favorites. Uh, favorite series and uh, character MVP. Uh, so I'm going to give my favorite series this week to My Hero Academia. Uh, I really like that chapter with Night Eye. I think it was a very sweet and emotional chapter. Some weird things in the middle, like I don't really get why Kirishima said mummy, but uh, <laughs> still for that conclusion and that much emotion, it's it's that kind of attitude that gets you a chapter of the week. I don't, I don't feel like we had a lot of standout chapters this week, so that one kind of easily clenched it for me. A big emotional moment uh, between those characters and unexpected character death. Uh, it feels like it's actually going to be quite, you know, important. And, uh, you know, like the only other series I think that really stood out to me, honestly, this week was Promise Neverland. Uh, still out in a good way, I should say. Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of series this week are kind of catching their breath or in the middle of leading up to a big moment. And those were the two where there was that big kind of wham moment instead. Uh, and then my uh, character of the week is going to be Saito 
from Food Wars because I was not expecting someone to have that kind of story like him. So uh, props for that, I guess. I don't know if it'll mean anything, but it kept, caught me off guard. Uh, I'm going to give mine to Beige because that was a really big badass moment that he had. Uh, it's like, well, my wife's in danger. Well, I'm going to coddle our infant son while I shoot that guy in the face. Uh, <laughs> it's like, shit, he's not half a gangster. He's going full gangster. That's a Bulwark Empire reference. Well, so that's going to do it, everybody. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for Weekly Mug Recap. We tend to record the show here on smashcast.tv slash reloadt and twitch.tv slash reloadt Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But sometimes we do need to change things up. Uh, we might need to, we might have problems with one of the websites or, you know, have problems with recording software or might be delayed, whatever. To stay updated on all of that stuff, you can follow our official account on Twitter, which is at WMR Podcast. And you can also follow your hosts at Realty, at Y Ruler of Time on Twitter as well. Yeah, uh, I was actually, I didn't make any kind of announcement on it because it wasn't really what my goal in the long run was, but I, I've been taking the past month off of Twitter. Uh, so people will probably notice there weren't many tweets for me during that time frame. Uh, but that will probably start up at least to some extent from then. So. Did you enjoy your break? <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, a lot I'm, less I'm, stress in your life. I'm going to probably be on Twitter a lot less. It's definitely a lot more helpful to not be on all the time. It helps with the mentality a lot more. Mm-hmm. You can also be sure to check out our past episodes on weeklymagarecap.podbean.com, as well as subscribe to us on iTunes. Check out our YouTube channel, also called Weekly Manga Recap. If you check us out on iTunes, be sure to leave a comment, rating, subscription, so that you can help us to become kings of the hobby section and defeat our eternal rivals, the Woodworking Podcast Union, which is, you know, an actual thing. But they're an alliance against us, trying to keep us down. So we gotta, we gotta come together yes. as a people and combat them. Yeah, this is um This is our Infinity Wars. We gotta stop the Thanos, aka the Woodworking Podcast, from stealing the mind gem, which I guess is our iTunes mind, reviews. The mind blocks yeah from from our, our itunes reviews although vision's doomed so i guess a couple reviews are, are are lost but um he's probably gonna put together the gauntlet you know what i guess it just doesn't work the, the woodworkers probably will win be sure to send feedback ask questions and send suggestions for future manga for us to talk about to weekly manga recap at yahoo.com that's the best way for us to keep track of everything and uh yeah yes I also really have a suggestion for us that I'm going to name in a bit. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. Your support allows us to create all sorts of bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Yeah, also, special, special thanks to uh, Patrick Harrigan and Maynard Manwaiwa. Manuya. I'm not entirely sure how to do that last name, but I tried. And that's what's that's really what important. Matters. That's uh, all the credit I definitely got on my oral Spanish exam today because um, I didn't do well. I threw you in tried. a I threw in a Feliz Navidad though because we are in the holiday season. God damn it, Chris! <laughs> Special thanks go, also go out to Steve Man or Tyler You can check out his work in a bunch of different places. He has his own Patreon account, Patreon.com/slash Steve Man, where you can check out his not say for work stuff, but also the tarot cards that he's made for us through the years, all for free. Yes. Uh, also, of course, special thanks to Miss Planet. Something, something, something limey. Okay. <laughs> Take that. Next series that we're going to be covering is called Kingan Ashwa, or Kingan Ashwa. I've seen it anglicized in a bunch of different ways. 
Uh, it's a martial arts series with a weird twist in that it's set in a world where all business company conflicts are resolved in the arena. So this might be interesting. Okay. Okay. So we'll have that in uh, probably a couple of weeks for you guys. All right. Uh, well, that's going to do it then. We're, we're coming up on December, Nick. Yes. Yeah. Holiday season's upon us. As well as my birthday. I, um, I'm terrified, Nick. I'm almost 30 now. You're going to turn 29 before you turn 30, Chris. I know, but I'm still, it's scary. Like, do you think there's a place I can hide? From time? Yeah, well, like the hyperbolic time chamber, you know? I mean, if that actually exists, then, well, no, because you'd still physically age inside of it, Chris. But my actual age wouldn't go up. I guess that's true. You want you just, like, need more time before you officially turn 30? Yeah. Because if you're going to do that... So I I go in there, I don't know, with, like, Conor McGregor. Like, he agrees to go with me, and we just train for a while, and I come up super buff. As the ruler of time, Chris... (laughs) (laughs) What gives you that jurisdiction? Who did, who, who I gave you that power? gave myself that title when I was 14 and thought it sounded cool. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, my liege. 